listening to the Exile Hour, hosted by Kayla Jackson Dills and Evan Phillips. We hope you enjoy the show wherever you are in the world time zones. Remember, be safe, be vigilant, and keep listening. According to former U.S. National Coordinator for Security and Counterterrorism, journalist Michael Hastings' death was consistent with a car cyber attack. Did you see what Joey did last night? <laughs> he poured fucking, poured fucking water ice all over himself. What an asshole! What the fuck is what the fuck is water ice? I think it's what they call in other cities Italian ice. If you know, like you probably they have Rita's around here, right? Yeah. Or is that exist in this? Yeah. Uh, Italian ice makes way more sense. Italian ice. I mean, it's it's still not even really ice. It's like a slushy situation but water ice water ice uh inexplicable i mean like one of these things why do they call why do they call it a hagee why is it the, the sandwich that's on hero yeah i uh, which is yeah i mean i'm sure there's origins for all this stuff that like somebody misheard it it was hoggy all right welcome to the exile hour i'm caleb jackson dills and this is evan philip lipson uh today on the exile hour uh, we're going where angels fear to tread. We have a uh, figure no less than the Reverend Dr. James Thaddeus Goad, Esquire. That's uh, Jim Goad, old Jimmy Goad. Thaddeus is such a good fucking middle name. Yeah. So, although I, I knew a guy named Thaddeus that was an asshole, so it sort of turned me off to it. But yeah, it's it's great for him, sure. It's actually kind of fitting for him because uh, you, you know there's a whole... Uh, there's a whole argument, like a biblical argument about Judas, where the, where they had to make um, it's like Jude Thaddeus could easily be confused as Judas, so then they had to start um, referring to him solely as Thaddeus to uh, like clear it up. So kind of fitting, kind of fitting for Jim Goad. Well, Goad, where to begin? Uh, probably his biggest stain upon the world was Answer Me magazine, which had four issues in the 90s. Um, he did this in collaboration uh, with his wife at the time, uh, Debbie Goad. Um, there were four issues. I don't think the first one had a theme, right? No, no. First one doesn't have a theme at all. And then the second was murder. Uh, the third was suicide. And the fourth was the uh, notorious rape issue, which I think landed them in a... Uh, embroiled in a obscenity lawsuit they weren't sued for obscenity but um a shop owner selling it was subsequently went on to do uh prison time not for the obscenity charges um but for domestic violence a situation um that was uh pretty pretty heavy this guy's a long history of I guess just fucking shit up forever. Author, journalist, uh, or anti-journalist. Country musician. A man of many hats. A man of many hateful hats. <laughs> often a often a cowboy hat, but I've seen him wear a pith helmet before. Uh, rub shoulders with some of the most hated people. Um, right now, in recent history, uh, Gavin McInnes, you know. Uh, it's like getting this popularity from the alt-right and proud proud boys um guys like all over the place it's every every couple of years we enter a new uh i guess a new decade of 
a new decade of hate from yeah, Jim self, self-described shit magnet. It seems to be uh, wherever wherever the trouble or controversy is at. Uh, he's he's kind of kind of around it, uh, not aligning himself with with the group or the ideology. Um, but um, yeah, well, going where angels fear to tread in 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 a in, into the situation uh, firsthand uh, to find out what the hell's going on. Cause that's, that's what we're all trying to do. Find out what the hell is going on. All right. Let's get Jim on the horn. East of the Rockies. You're on the air. Reverend Dr. James Thaddeus Goad Esquire. I'm actually, a, I, I am a reverend. Uh, in the Universal Life Church. Oh, really? Since the nineteen since the nineteen seventies, uh, yeah, three dollars an ad in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. I think I got two different uh, doctorates or whatever reverendships from them over the years. But yeah, I'm, I can marry anyone. Never have though. The uh, term of endearment or honorific isn't even necessary. You're actually officially the man. Yes, I'm a reverend. <laughs> who uh, I guess I'm, I'm an agnostic too. I guess that's an issue now these days in dissident right circles, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Oh, no room for doubt. That's for sure. Yeah. Just the realm of absolutes. That's the world we have to live in now. Tra- uh, trad wives and that type of thing going to Catholic church unironically. Unironically. Yeah, but not not acting Christian in any regra- regard. Being foul-mouthed, obsessed with, you know... Uh, scatological references, the the most explicit sexual references, spreading gossip, false accusations, hatred, like everything Jesus preached against. That's that's what's fascinating about this whole crowd. Yeah, it's a dumb thing. And my theory is that uh, somebody, probably federal agents or uh, high-powered financial types, this was was how they broke apart the alt-right was, well, send them all to Jesus. They got scared after Charlottesville. Now they're they're into Jesus. And uh, thing is, nobody's being fired or destroyed for saying, "Hey, I like Jesus." But as we all know, if you say I'm white and don't feel bad about it, you don't have to go anywhere past that. You you will be targeted for destruction. So yeah, but I'm sure you didn't intend you didn't intend to talk about religion. But <laughs> it's just it's just so depressing that that's where some of these guys have turned. It's it's and comical. Like way to way to prove you never understood anything, guys. And uh, another thing, I always talk about this old boomer meme. I don't know. Do you guys talk in those terms? I just like woke up to it like a year ago. I don't. I don't. You know, I'm what I'm 58 now. For fuck's sake, still alive, still kicking. Could probably beat up every previous incarnation of myself. But I don't remember any time in history where everyone diagnosed someone's behavior based on the generation in which they were born. No, that's some incel shit. I'm in college right now, and it's it's the equivalent. Like it's like every class brings up uh, generations and talks about generations. So maybe that's where well, that I, comes I, from. I, did I don't a, know. I did an article called "Generational Astrology for Dummies." Okay, because okay, ast- can we all agree astrology is dumb as shit? Yeah, sure. Okay, the the premise that the month you were born in determines your behavior—that's ludicrous. Like only women, only women, only women believe in that. What about the the Chinese zodiac where you got an entire year attributing your personality and characteristics? I think, yeah, that's worse. I'm the cock, but the, the uh, I'm under the Chinese zodiac. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm actually a cock too. Weird. <laughs> the three cocks. So the but the entire generation you were born in is predictive of your behavior. 
which makes no sense. And it's flawed from every possible fucking angle you try to examine it from, try to even make sense of it from. My primary belief about this is this is another divide and conquer scheme. Well, get the 20-year-olds arguing with the 60-year-olds. That's a good way to break up any possible coalition, right? But the idea that like these boomers, and I'm on the tail end of the baby boom, but uh, the idea that they're, oh yeah, we're going to vote so Israel uh, makes us their, uh, their bitch. We're going to vote so there's endless lectures about uh, white privilege and you can't even say you're okay with being white. Nobody voted for that shit. You, I guess you have to be 20 year old, 20 years old to think that you really have much of an influence on <laughs> how, how things happen and what, you know, over government or, fi- or any of those things. But the big point, and yeah, since I've had brain surgery and I'm senile, I, I need to get this stuff out. <laughs> the, the thing is, like, if you really want to examine it statistically, you're not, you're not just astrologically, the 20 year olds are extremely more liberal than the 60-year-olds. They're extremely less religious. They're much more against racism and all this other shit. It's, as you said, incels. It's this pathetic scene of guys who have nine friends on Discord and they think their entire generation is the righteous one that's going to raise up and turn the course of history. It's like you're fucking delusional. You're playing a video game. That crowd, all they do is they just want to sit on fucking Discord. They refuse to go to college, uh, which... You know, I understand because it sucks, but it's like if you avoid all of those things, um, what the fuck do you expect is going to happen to culture? You know, you just give it to somebody else. I I think they're clueless. I understand. Hey, I understand things are shitty. I understand things are getting worse for each generation. But as a boomer, they think that I just inherited a house and a job and, you know, three weeks. Nah, I guess that was my dad. My dad was born in 1920. He went through the Great Depression. And by the time he was 50, he owned a house in full, could buy a new car every three years. I don't know anybody who does that these days, could take a two-week vacation. I mean, he worked his balls off. He worked 80 hours a week. He was a plumber and a, an oil refinery foreman. But this guy with not even a high school education was able to accomplish all that. I graduated first of my class in college, and I'm nowhere near any of that. Things got started getting bad long before the fucking boomers were born. But nobody, nobody elected for this to happen. You have to be fucking, I guess, young and stupid and naive to think you really have much influence on, on the course of history. Anyway. <laughs> hi, hi, youngins out there. Love you. I know. I, I imagine this occurs. I mean, I'm thinking about the generation in the 60s, which, of course, turned, oh, well, we have to do everything that was the opposite of yeah. our parents. It's they like were... George Costanza and Seinfeld. It's opposite day. They're just going to do everything the opposite. Yeah, that's what happened. Right. And there's and there's so much uh, reverence that's laid at the feet of the 60s is this uh, conscious expanding uh, height of, of art and culture. It's when white people were persuaded to start feeling guilty about themselves. I don't see any of the 60s as a good thing. But where do you lay the blame? It's not in the, the generation. Of, they were, you know, it's gradual. People are dumb. I have a dim view of humanity. Is whoever controls the propaganda is who shapes stuff. This is not, but I am old enough to remember how this was all sold. And like I said, it's no one was promised endless shaming and demographic replacement. When Ted Kennedy pushed the immigration bill of 65, he promised, he, he's, and you can find the quote, he's like, no, a million new, new foreign immigrants won't be coming every year. This won't significantly change the demographics of the United States. He lied. 
How you, when you're like my dad and you're working an 80 hour week, how are you supposed to know you're being lied to? I mean, that's the great thing about the internet. It's much easier to get to information now and obviously why they're clamping down on it hardcore. But yeah, when you're just some fucking dumb Vermont hillbilly like my dad was, you don't have the time to like figure out who founded the Federal Reserve or learn about globalists. You're, you're killing yourself. A guy died, I'm 58, he died when he was 59, probably killed himself drinking and working. It's just a dumb and divisive, but they, I mean, like I said, I, I hate to get generational, but I think, I really think circumstances and technology shape generations. You have these youngins, they have extremely short attention spans. And they really can't think critically, it doesn't seem like. And I call them meme-tarded. So, uh, boomers, boomers, boomers. Oh, you criticize religion. Oh, uh, tip of fedora. Uh, it's like, you can't fucking think. It's it's horrifying. The thing that kind of throws it off for me, though, is like, uh, well, this phenomenon, now we're getting this meta situation, talking about podcasts, because we <laughs> doing a fucking podcast as we speak. But uh, this is kind of surprising, because it is long format. I mean, you do, your episodes are usually... I should say, yeah. You know, Jim has a podcast called Jim Goad's Group Hug. It's fantastic. Um, but the, what are the, those usually like an hour, hour and a half, or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we did interviews, they, they would go longer. But um, but the assumption was that oh, pe- these people could only pay attention to something for like five seconds. That you know, M- the MTV style cuts where it's just like you can't have a shot that's longer than five seconds before the camera has to switch, and then like suddenly, okay, they can. Kind of, I I, you know, I don't imagine that it's all consumed in one dose, but uh, I, th- I think what technology's done it's it's kind of crippled people's ability to think critically because it's just quickly flashing images and you don't really you know it's whatever's the most colorful and lolist <laughs> you know and that that becomes reality to people. I don't know this whole thing like if you criticize religion, which I was recently accused of criticizing organized religion. I don't know where they get that. No, these these major religions are stupid. The only ones that are kind of profound are the Eastern religions. But uh, that I, that you're a, you're like a basement dwelling fedora nerd. It's like I don't know. I think uh, statistically, the religious guys might be a little more misfit and nerdier. And statistically, if you want to get into it, who does religion appeal to? Women, old people. And Africans and Middle Easterners, the most religious places on earth are in Africa and the Middle East. And uh, according to studies I've seen, there's a little bit of an IQ gap between non-religious people. And do you think people. that mankind, to whatever degree, is hardwired and therefore de- like forever destined to act religiously? Or are we all being merely deluded by f- some form of uh, mass indoctrination? I mean, here's, here's the thing. I never said I was an atheist. I'm an agnostic. At times of inc- intense peril in my life, I'll start praying regardless. That's an inst- it's a universal instinct, so there's something there. I think there's an instinct, and that's something you should pay attention to. You should, you know, as a guy who doesn't, I think these attempts, these 2,000-year-old attempts to explain why the fuck we're, we're here, obviously fraudulent, but they're trying to explain something that is an instinct. I don't know. I, th- I think it makes no sense to say that everything came from nothing. That's probably more ludicrous than saying, well, God's this really pissed off guy who decided to fuck a virgin one day and sent his son down to suffer for a whole situation that God, the father created and could have stopped. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous, but also, you know, everything came from nothing. doesn't make any sense, but I've compared it to like trying to explain lesbianism to a house cat. I just picked up this stray kitten about two weeks ago. If I sat in my lap, I'm like, well, son, 
Some women, uh, you know, they tend to be less attractive to men, but they find sexual sin. The cat would just walk away. Uh, the, 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 the whole nature of the or origin of the universe could be right in front of our faces. We could be too stupid to grab. It might have nothing to do with these ideas of God that humans have come up with. Yeah, but I mean, you're, when you say you're agnostic, you get accused of being afraid to choose sides. It's like, well, what's, I think it's kind of brave to endorse shit from both sides and just say, hey, I'm too dumb. I don't know. To speak in like the incel term, um, you know, I think about it. Uh, sometimes I want to take the Christ pill. Just because, uh, you know, when you look at it, you're like, oh, wow, uh, these got worshiping a God is a lot better than worshiping like, I don't know, Target or a Funko Pop or like your iPhone it, where, you know, like ideologies became the new religion. Uh, maybe it'd be more fun to worship a sky God than uh, worship like commodity but you know you don't have to pick one or the other i think that's where people fall into it why do you have to worship anything i mean i understand the use of being a fan when you're when you're an adolescent you have influences or people that inspire you that are more clever and creative than your parents but a lot of people never grow out of that i think at a certain time you become your own person you don't need to worship oh you're worshiping non i don't really worship anything the only thing i really care about is surviving and, you know, the people that are close to me and my animals, that's it. But uh, why do you have to, maybe I'm so much of an egomaniac. I don't need to fixate on something else or look up to something. I've, I've got friends. There are few of them, but I think are smarter than me, wiser than me. Yeah, I, I look up to them. <laughs> I don't take their advice all the time. And that's the only time I fuck up. But yeah, religion, it, it came out of nowhere. Like, because I've, you know, I've never even considered myself right wing, but I've written for tackies for nine years. I decided 25 years ago that this idea that everyone's equal is nonsense and it's not supported by any evidence. So you get lumped in with these guys. But, you know, I, since I write and I have to kind of swim in these circles to some degree, but it was like five or six years ago, this guy, Andy Nowicki, who used to write for Richard Spencer, but he's saying, go Catholics. Yeah, Catholics. I'm like, what? What the fuck? Like, what went, like, I thought we got away from... I thought the whole, because my whole, I fled the left when they started acting like religious fanatics and, you know, shaming people with guilt. You're the bad one. I'm going to smear you with badness and destroy you. That's exactly how, you know, witch hunters and Christian lynch mobs acted. I never expected it right, to come back around to that shit. Yeah, like whiteness is the original sin. You know, that's the. Well, <laughs> that's, I mean, I, I've made the analogy. It's kind of being a white male in America right now, at least on propaganda propagandist terms uh, is kind of akin to being a Jew in Germany in the thirties. You were, you're stained in your soul. You inherited guilt for what your forefathers did. If that's not a biblical notion that, and that's, what's like frustrating. And again, I don't take a political side. I just call out bullshit to, to think, you know, at, on one hand, these, these progressives, they claim to be atheists and, but they assign generational sins of the father guilt on people. They, they have the same framework of good and evil. They also claim to believe in evolution, but at the same time, believe everyone arrived at the finish line at the same time. There's almost like a baked in property about religious thinking that it seems even, even, even in these people who imagine themselves as being atheists, they're acting. I mean, you could even define religious thinking as religious acting well, right they, they, and they use the same they they use the word evil racism's evil well if there's no god there's no fucking evil it's all an opinion i think so i mean i, I kind of have thoughts about how the notions of good and evil arose 
The thing that I've noticed is like usually something's good to somebody if it enhances their survival and it's evil if it's a threat. That's why both sides in a war think they're the good guys. Isn't it a coincidence the evil ones always lose? Look at that. Like Hitler, the bad guy lost. The Southerners, the bad guys lost. Like every fucking time. Maybe there is a God because the good always wins. Yeah. You know, I don't have that. I. I don't have that need to see people as good or evil. It's like it's whether they're annoying or not. <laughs> maybe we could look at it like this. If we can't escape this thing, then maybe we could, uh, you know, focus, you say, uh, you know, have some belief in uh, seeking truth or the expansion or refinement of consciousness or something like this. Yeah, uh, and the scientific method, the scientific method is the best we have in logic. I mean, if there is a higher consciousness, that's the consciousness that made two plus two always equal four. It's not the one who like created a world that he hates and tortures forever. How the fuck does that make sense to me? I understand why Christianity appeals to people because guilt's a huge thing. It's the guilt projections, the main theme in my writing. People don't know how to handle with their, to handle their feelings of self-loathing. Oh, what are you telling me? This guy, this hippie looking guy came down and took, paid the bill. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Sign me up. I mean, it, it appeals to something very basic in human psychology, but you start picking apart the, Every fucking contradiction, even the four gospels detailing the same event, like how many people went to Lazarus's tomb, what time of day was it? Like every, they contradict all over the fucking place. And it's, it's supremely depressing. I think deeper than guilt, it might also be about a way of like dealing with uh, explaining, not explaining suffering. I mean, yeah, that's part of it, but, but okay. uh, The world is, is like defined by this tragedy and suffering. Okay. I got to, have some find some meaning through this you know god put me here and gave me spina bifida and i'm blind and that's because of something i did and not he did real and that makes sense to people man <laughs> that's the thing it's like that belief process similar to like ideology it's it's almost like you have to be at this place like from your upbringing to need the the reason to like uh, absolve your guilt or your suffering. It's weird. It's like I've related to a lot of the stuff you've wrote because, you know, I I come from a similar uh like background and everybody involved in this like counterculture scene, like you start realizing everybody's fucking rich, you know? Like everybody's parents are just fucking loaded and um yeah. then it kind of takes the punch out of everything they've said period because it's like well you you have the ability to think that fucking way because you you have to like justify why your life is so inherently good it's weird my brother johnny was like 13 years older than me he went to temple university we grew up in a brick row home in the suburbs of philly he tried to go to college in 1967 went to temple university was surrounded by hippies and flower powers like this is crazy enlisted in vietnam you know and uh i was the, this I, is the guy that beat up todd rundgren as a kid yes oh we can share that story yeah todd rundgren the maybe some of these kids have no idea who that is he was a pretty big star in the 70s a wizard a true star he did yes. the song hello it's me everybody might know that one but uh yeah he grew up a half mile from where we grew up also grew up like five miles from jim croce and uh and oh. was born like three miles from where wc fields was born but yeah, he, uh, they, they called the, uh, cause my brother was a greaser and, uh, you know, hot rotter. And I, I definitely prefer that era of rock and roll over anything the Beatles are post, but, uh, they called the British invasion guys, geeky boys and Todd Rundgren was a geeky boy and they would beat him up. <laughs> 
but yeah, he, he, you know, he enlisted cause he couldn't handle it. And that was my same thing. I, I came from this working class, Irish Catholic Catholic background, but I was weird in that scene cause I was smarter than the other kids and asked questions that they were too stupid to ask. But then I go to the college scene and these are all these people accusing me of privilege and it's like, oh, oh, and you're going to the Hamptons this summer. <laughs> oh, okay. I've never had like, I've never in my life, you know, somebody who's from the coal mines of West Virginia saying you fucking privilege. It, it's exclusively somebody who I can document came from a better economic background than I did. And it's like, well, as much as I hate mind reading, when someone's words and their actions fly and you know, contradict one another, you might start searching for reasons. And it's like, well, maybe it's, there's this idea that if you've suffered and lost, you're cool. <laughs> I don't know where they came up with that one. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be, you know, you got all the chicks and you have the man. That's the cool guy. Not anymore. Like there's, there's like moral cachet for having lost and they feel wealth, wealth guilt. Yeah. But not anymore. It's, it's been turned on its head. So as, as much as I can speculate, cause it's been nonstop. I, I, I hardly ever argue with people on Twitter, but I, I started, I used Google translate. There's this guy in Spain. They released the redneck manifesto in Spanish like two years ago. And unlike here, it was covered in every major newspaper. It was like a sensation over there. It, it was, it fucking fell off the map. The minute it was released here, it got no press attention, but there's this guy, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. A R I S T E G U I Aristegui, David Aristegui. He looks, you can look up pictures of him. He looks like, say, Allen Ginsberg find, get caught up with him and he got AIDS. That's what this, that's what this guy looks like. And uh, he's been going off for two or three years. You know, Jim Goad, fascist, Nazi woman beating, came from a, came from a posh background. And that's the thing. Okay. I'll fly to where you are and punch you in the face with that shit. Like, cause I mean, I mean, you hate, if I'm going to be accused of that, I'm going to force you to provide me with that lavish lifestyle or there's going to be like hell to pay, you know? But, uh, I asked my publisher, I'm like, who is this guy? He's like, Oh God, he's some Marxist agitator. Uh, he's living off the proceeds of his grandfather. His grandfather was some songwriter who wrote a very, very popular uh, ad jingle about milk, la leche. And, uh, and this guy's living off the royalties for that. It's like, of course, of course. I got into a feud of fucking, what's, what's it now? 10 years ago with this writer, Mark Ames, who used to do a, uh, he fled to uh, Russia, which, you know, every working class guy can do is they can go to Russia and start an English language newspaper when they're in their 30s with, you know, no history of no track record of success in business or anything. But with Matt Taibbi and did a, did a paper called The Exile. And uh, what was it? Exile, uh, Ames started this whole feud with me and he picked up on something. The chick that I beat up and went to prison over. She, she I mean, it's documented. When asked why did I beat her up, she gave all kinds of different answers. One was she was going to reveal to the world that I wasn't really white trash. And in her tiny little mind, that meant that I didn't have a mullet and I wasn't an alcoholic. You're not white. It's like, I grew up, my dad was a fucking plumber and everything I have, I scrape for. That's all that ever Right. It's like saying you're not punk because you don't have the right discharge back patch or whatever. And it's it's not, you know, I'm not scraping for authenticity. It's nothing to brag about growing up working class. It sucks. Yeah. You kind of like, I, you know, I've kind of like hit it. I I, I kept it to myself until like recently. It's not like, oh, uh, you know, my ancestors were slave. I'm slaves. I'm cool. Hey, my dad was a plumber. That makes me cool. It's not that. It's like, Hey, 
maybe it kind of shapes how I've become crass and what I, what I uh, complain about and what I don't, com- I don't complain about microaggressions and nonsense like that. That's all it means. But I dug a little into this Mark Ames guy. Oh, daddy, a millionaire San Francisco lawyer. And he's from, and he, this is at a time when this guy was screaming about the 1%. What's the, uh, the average family income in Saratoga, California? Oh, it fits into the 1% of the population. What the fuck do you know? And it's, it's amazing how often, I mean, that's one of these things when I started doing the redneck book, you know, you put your, up your antenna, okay, stereotypes about poor whites and suddenly it's everywhere. And that's what happened with me in projection. When you see somebody screaming about how bad someone else is, man, it's a cliche, you know, when there's one finger pointing, three are pointing back at you, but it's so fucking common. So much shit is projection. And I mean, I I don't know how close to the third rail you guys want to know, but when I was want to go, but when I was reading Mein Kampf on an iPhone on my way to a Jew, a great, amiable, friendly Jewish employer, some of the things he was saying about Russia, not Russian communist gangs in Germany in the 20s, it's like, well, they're acting like Nazis. They're just going to storming places, cracking heads. And when you read about communism, oh, they had death camps in the 20s. I was like, how much, you know, this is, is not, this is going to be misinterpreted as some kind of defense of Nazis, but they learned a lot from the communists. I mean, it's like, so how much of this is, you know, defenders of communism projecting all the shit they did? You want to count bodies? Really? You guys think all, all, if everyone's equal, count their fucking bodies equally. Count the whole of the more. Probably easy to verify that killed more people in 18 months than the Holocaust did in six years. But, you know, they don't want to go there. It's like, you're the bad guys. This is another propaganda that really started popping off in the 60s um, with this veneration of mostly aesthetically. Like you had the East Coast, Silver 60s, Rudy Gernrich, Andy Warhol world, the space age futurism. uh, And then the West Coast was kind of represented by, you know, authenticity via jeans and T-shirt. You know this 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 kind of aesthetic war, and it was you know, it's obvious uh, which side, and this is the the sort of hippie aesthetic was the the side that ended up winning out. But this was also the same time. Well, maybe when did Deliverance was uh, early seventies, right? Seventy two, seventy two, seventy three. Yeah. Right. So this is also when you started having the propaganda machine really rolling it out in movies in terms of uh, a point I made about. Uh in the redneck book about deliverance and, you know, deliverance syndrome. Uh, Cause you look at a lot of these horribly horrifying racist caricatures of blacks in the past. For the most part, they're kind of like adorable simpletons. It's not like they're going to rape and murder. And, you know, yet there are exceptions like a birth of a nation and stuff like that. But for the most part, somebody once sent me like nine DVDs of racist animated cartoons from the 40s. It's just dum to dum going to my grandma, going to pick up some cookies, like just dumb, like dumb black, like nothing like rapists. And but those were this that was the same way they portrayed hillbillies, you know, little Abner and the Beverly Hillbillies. But there was a turn in the 60s when you could no longer fear or defame blacks. Society didn't get smart and grow up and say, well, maybe it's kind of dumb and immature and dishonest to defame entire groups and let them handle our own guilt complexes. They didn't drop it. They kept the script. They just changed the demons. It became, you know, poor white trash with the rapists and deliverance, 
the, the burglars in every fucking home uh, security system commercial. Like people, and I, you know, can I say, how are you guys on words? Because this is, I would be quoting something I said in the Redneck book. You say whatever you want. Free speech zone. Yeah. Okay. Every, everyone needs a nigger is what I said in the book. It, they didn't start, there wasn't like one second of a vacuum where it was like, okay, let's just approach people as individuals. And, you know, I said this, I said in the Redneck book, I, I look forward to the one, I was kind of cribbing off MLK, but you know, when we were not judged on the content of our skin, but whether or not we're assholes. But uh, no, they can't. People still need to group and stereotype. And I mean, stereotypes have some merit. That's not accidental that blacks have a a reputation for being good basketball players, (laughs) you know. But, you know, to assume some guy's going to be a good basketball player or to assume an Asian's not going to be a murderer or not going to be just because that's kind of dumb, too. But uh it's, I think more and more about it. I've never been aligned politically. It's more about guilt and what people do with guilt and how they smear and destroy each other's with guilt. And especially how people hide behind good causes to do things that in any other context would be considered evil. Well, he's bad. So I'm going to kick his head in until he's brain damaged. And that's good. And so I, I don't, whether that makes me autistic or, or amoral, sociopathic, no, it's like logical. It's like, no. You're just hiding behind a cause to do something that would otherwise be considered bad. And I'm, I, I'm, I, I, all I need to do is get a title, and I think I could write this philosophy book in a week. But the working title is Moral Psychosis. And it's just the idea that, yeah, the, in my life, and I, I noted this in Answer Me when we interviewed Anton LaVey. I said, why is the Satanists and the murderers and the race, they're always the ones who are polite and return your calls. You know, and and that's been the case. Like I, I know people with just worse public reputations, but they're princes among men. And why is it that the do-gooders, most part, are backstabbing, vicious, bitter, destructive, horrible people? And when I asked Anton Lavey, he said, "Well, you know, he, he calls it uh, now the term is virtue signaling, but uh, back then he, he called it wearing a good guy badge." And he, his theory was that like it takes a lot of psychic energy to pretend you're that good. You know, if, if somebody just gets their evil or their sinister side out and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cut you if you step to me, then they've got a lot of psychic energy left over to be polite. Like you've stated that, that an overarching theme of your writing over the decades has been guilt projection and scapegoating. But would you also attribute repression as a cause for much of people's various forms of misguided behaviors? Or just not like I, I think uh, I think the main problem and this is something <laughs> it's whether you're a social creature or not. And I'm decidedly not. I'm able, but what I've noticed too is I'm able to acknowledge there are people that are not like me. They care much more about social approval than about being true to themselves. I don't understand that, but I've never seen anybody who's like that. It's like, oh yeah, you're, okay, maybe you're different than me, and you're an individual. No, it's like, nah, you're just hiding, and you're you're part of this group or that. They they can't even their minds can't even fucking grasp it. I don't know, but yeah, I, I to me it's much better to be true to yourself than to please others like then you're just a fucking weakling it's it's like with the moralism thing um it's almost for me i would rather somebody kicking somebody's head in be like i'm kicking this person's head in because because i want to or i'm pissed off like that's so much so much better than i'm kicking this person's head in because they're a bad guy or it's better for them this is good this is good for them well this this is you know this has been i've gone over this territory eight million times so i went to prison 
If you want to hear, I mean, I was sent this URL out, jimgo.net slash sound slash an, A-N-N-E dot M-P-3 or sky, S-K-Y dot M-P-3, jimgo.net sound and with an E or sky dot M-P-3. It's a girl I went to prison over. Uh, I'll blow your fucking head off. I'm being served the restraining order. I'm not going to stay away from you. One of us is going to wind up behind bars. Your head's going to be fucking blown out of this universe. Your head is going to be, I'm going to cut your fucking nipples off. I've surveyed your house. I've been around the perimeter. I'm going to climb up on the house. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to throw a fucking rock through your window. Where is she? Drop her off. Come back. You're, you're not going to get away from me. You're never going to be able to make a public appearance again. You can hear all this. You can hear it in her voice. Hi, it's me. And I was just saying it might be necessary uh, ASAP for you to take out a restraining order against me. Seriously, Jim. Uh, I'm infected with you. Yeah, I don't know any other way to describe it. I can't get over this. I can't wash it off me. I'm insane. That's all I can think about. I am so obsessed and possessive of you. I will go to extreme lengths to capture you. You better restrain me. And we both know what I'm capable of. I mean, you've threatened to call the police many times. So let's get this filthy rotten piece of garbage out of your life once and for all. Hi, lovey-dovey who'd always wants to be near me and never cheat on me, you fucking asshole. You better be there in 20 minutes, or a fucking rock is going through your landlord's fucking window. And if you ain't there, I don't care. If your landlord don't, if your landlord lets me in, I'm throwing away every hour that you're gone, I'm throwing away all your answering magazines, all your letters, destroying your house, and this ain't gonna be a fun night for you, boy, because I'm not in a good mood. And I'm destroying everything you fucking own. So you can even have the cops there, because I'm not gonna play quiet when you're not there. 20 minutes, you're having a rock through your fucking window, and if your fucking landlord doesn't answer the phone, or it lets me in, then I'm throwing destroyed every single possession you own, so be there in 20 minutes or get fucked. Did she come by and pick you up? Oh, sweet. Listen, goat, I know for a fact you're not home, I've been all around your fucking house, the whole perimeter, I've surveyed it, the inside and out, and I couldn't get on your roof, but I ran the chimes, I know for a fucking fact you're out there, buddy, the game is out, to your stuff, have her drop you off, because I ain't leaving the premises. Darling, where are we at? The front house? Uh, darling, you know what? I ain't gonna wait for that olive branch because I don't want it. You know what I was hoping for? That it would be you, but it's not. And you have destroyed my dreams. I know what you want. You just want casual sex. You were gonna dispose of me, and you're not gonna be able to get rid of me so easy. There's gonna be somebody's gonna want it dead, whether it's me or you. And, um, don't think <laughs> that I won't find a way. Don't think for even a second that you can get away. And I wouldn't be very sloppy about it, believe me. If you hurt me bad enough, you will be fucking blown to fucking pieces. You will be assassinated. And there's no way, unless you never want to make a public appearance again, that that's going to, uh, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to find out where you are, a fucking famous person. I'm going to find out where the fuck you are, and I'm going to bring you fucking smither fucking rings. You're fucking you fucking lying to me? That told me one thing one minute, why you're fucking me, when, oh, you love me so much next minute, you don't believe in love. You will say things to me, don't want to get laid, you fuck with my fucking head. And, um, you know, I'm just, it's not, it's not cutting it. Your, your head is going to be, you're going to be out of this fucking universe. Your head's going to be blown fucking shreds. So you better pick the fucking phone. Everyone who's heard her voice is like, holy shit, man, didn't know. Sorry. And what happened? So what happened? And I got a restraining order against her. Kept hitting me. You can look at my fucking mugshot. I'm, my face is all scratched up. They found DNA evidence. They came and swabbed my cheeks for uh, epithelial cells to get my DNA. Oh, what did they find? My blood mixed with her blood on her jacket. 
you know? But so what's the outcome? Do I say she's an evil fucking person? And she it's when I'm asked, you know, did you regret hitting her? It's like, fuck no. And I said, I enjoyed it. It's like, yeah, if somebody threatened your life for a year and you beat the shit out of them, you'd feel great. Trust me. All I've ever, I'm not, I'm, but her, like she's, and this was such a fucking malevolent person, which is what I thought was kind of cool about her. But she, she got Jesus when this all, and he's evil. He's an evil man. Do I say that? No, she's the evil one. And I say, no, she's lying. Well, you had the opportunity to to lock her up, right? I mean, you could have made a statement. Uh... I had a restraining order against her three fucking times. She physically attacked me after I got the restraining order. Now, 20 years later, I had, hey, woman beat us. Like, hey, let's talk. And the minute I fuck it, they, they shut the fuck up or run and then go, hey, woman beat her. It's like, you know what? Two things. You don't have, number one, you probably never had to beat a woman off of you like I did. Sucks to be you. Number two, you don't have the balls to fucking hit a woman back. And number three, <laughs> three things, Spanish. Number three, you definitely don't have the balls not to apologize to the world. Because that's one of the things, like, I'm sitting there in prison. Oh, he deserves this. I'm like, what did I do to you? I don't understand that. I'm not, you know, even if I hear somebody stab somebody across the world, I'm like, oh, I must suck for the victim and their family. But I don't have this lynch mob, burn them, burn them. And you start wondering, what, what does that come from? Because, uh, I mean, the first chapter of my new book is about my brother who got murdered. Do I want to put every murderer away? No, I, I would like, he's probably dead by now because this happened 50 years ago this year. But like, um, I'd like to be put in a room with a murderer. Fine. But I know the the warden at the prison I was at, Oregon State Penitentiary, was, uh, the, the rumor was that her husband had been killed by a drunk driver and she just wanted to smash the balls of every criminal. It's like, well, not really fair, lady. I didn't do anything to you. And the other thing is too, guilt projection. When I was in... When I was in the joint, there, there was a book called Kind and Usual Punishment as opposed to Cruel and Unusual Punishment. It was called Kind and Usual Punishment, written in the early 70s. And there was some sociological survey. They said the prison guards scored much higher on sociopathy on tests than inmates did. And I can see that. Are you familiar with the uh, Stanford prison experiment? No. Yeah. Oh, God. It was this, I think it was a sociology class at Stanford University. Could have been another class. But the premise was they, they took a part of the campus and they made it into a fake jail and they assigned half the students as guards and half as prisoners. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And within like a day or two, they had to shut it down because the guards just got increasingly cruel. And that's the thing when you're the good guy and they're the bad guy. Yeah. Make them lick the toilet, kick them in the teeth. Like, and that's, that's fucked up thinking. Sorry, sorry, Marlis, but that's fucked up and you're, and you're, you're hiding something. <laughs> you're hiding you for hot you can't come to terms with the fact that you're capable of shit you would consider evil i'm i'm cozy with that side of me so you know i don't have to front <laughs> well it's like uh, i think people uh when they see other people punished you know it seems like the personality types of the people who are really up in arms are like people who were like bullied a lot when they were kids or some shit oh, yeah. and they, they you know they're just straight going into that you know they're seeing themselves inside of these people and just being like oh yeah i remember when when i got my ass beat when i was 13 and i'm still angry about it i don't know it's weird well, that's uh, like i've said that a long time ago is that really empathy or is that just projection they're projecting themselves as the victim yeah it's like total egoism though you know i think in a way yeah yeah but you know punish punish yeah from your from the safety of your chair 
punish somebody. Okay, tough guy. Oh, uh, the other issue is it's like uh, now people are just generally less violent physically. Um, and, and people, you know, that's where everybody's like, oh, words are violence. And it's like, have you ever taken a fucking punch to the face? You know, or have you ever, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like our relationship with violence now is completely fucked up. Maybe we need more violence to even people out. I don't know. Well, this is one thing. I had a lot of time to think in prison. <laughs> and one thing I started to really admire about a lot of the convicts, and one of the reasons snitches were hated, uh, the old lady at the end of the street who called the cops was never really even considered a snitch. A snitch was your partner who pulled a burglary with you and then committed the second crime of turning on his friend in order to get away, to get rid of all his guilt. You know, and I was thinking about this, like this was back around the time all this shit in Iraq started happening. And you see these people on TV cheering the decimation of entire villages in Afghanistan and all that. And I started thinking, you know, these convicts, they just take somebody and punch them. But when you're sitting on your chair, you kind of kind of ramp the suffering up. Okay, well, I'll sit on a chair and watch people being have bombs on them just to get the same thrill. You know, drone warfare. There isn't actually even a, a pilot dropping physically pulling the trigger. That's tailor made for nerds, <laughs> nerd revenge. And that's that's so much of what social media is, is anonymous nerd revenge. It's weird. You know, I, I'm a tiny public figure, like in, in a tiny, tiny circle. But you always get these, you know, Publius 3000. Well, you, you kind of went easy on the Jews there, Jim. It's like, I'm sorry, Publius. <laughs> you're, 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 you're calling me, you're calling me a coward, Publius. And it's a, it's a weird situation to be in because comedians could see their hecklers online. You can't even see that if somebody's behind a fucking black wall. You can't even see who's heckling you. And I don't, I mean, I go back and forth. I'd probably, you know, ultimately be against it because you can never bring down governments, but I, I would almost at this point require identities to be revealed online. Uh, then, then we'll see who's actually tough and brave. Twitter would end without the anime profile pick accounts, unfortunately. And I get so many people, oh man, you know, I, uh, really, I think the same way you do. I just, you know, I'm an air conditioning repairman and I can't say that. I'm like, really? I think it's more dangerous to say what I say as a writer. <laughs> I think that limits my employment opportunities much more than, yeah, you know, I'm sure you have some air, Klansman air conditioner repairman out there not going to have a problem with it. It's like just you know, I, I'd, if you just said, "Hey, I'm scared," I said, "All right, no, you're a coward because you didn't Jew out enough." It's like you didn't over Jew it. And it's like, oh man, go away. That's I mean, it's so weird to like you survive prison, don't apologize, you survive brain surgery, public crucifixion for a generation, and then Publius three thousand comes along. <laughs> <laughs> calls you a coward all right Publius. part of this so-called alt-right situation it's like it seems like a lot of these fucking Publiuses out there and it's like uh i you know you're obviously somebody who's operated as a lifelong provocateur um or i'm sort of wondering if you would agree with the assessment that you've been decidedly a little less antagonistic with some of these people um or some of these 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 ideologies um, particularly, particularly when it's like brought about by, uh, the, the Publius side of people. Like I understand. I remember back, I remember back when I was, uh, sparring with this Mark Ames guy, Sean Tedgerachi told me, he's like, Jim, it's pointless. He has no honor. You could nail him a hundred times, prove that he's lying and he'll, he'll come back the next day and say, and act like it never happened. And you realize with that, it's like, well, what's to be gained then? I guess you, you, you know, to the people out there who are watching it happen, 
and are discerning at all. They can tell who's telling the truth, but okay. And again, what do I gain from that? I, I came to, to accept a couple of years. There are people who don't have any fucking honor. I, I was dumb enough to go into this thinking, well, if you just lay it out, they'll admit they're wrong. Because I've done that in the past when I'm eight years old and quizzing my mom, all right, how does Santa Claus get all the toys for all the world's children on one sled? She said, all right, shut up. There's no Santa Claus. I'm like, aha! You know, I, and and when I was, I was, there was nobody more Christian than me in my teens. But I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Mm, this thing in Leviticus doesn't jibe with this thing in First John. After a while, it's like, there's no way this can be true. Sorry, I was wrong. It's not real. Same thing happened like, God, I was around 30. Well, is it just coincidence that everywhere black people go, there's poverty and crime and low uh, longevity? Is this all racism? If that's true, wouldn't they be doing better in all black countries? It's not true. I was wrong. There must be other reasons. Reasons have nothing to do with hate. Reasons have to do with biology and evolution, (laughs) shit like that. But I am fine with saying, no, I was wrong. As much of a fucking blustering egomaniac as I am, yeah, if I'm wrong, I think it's more honorable to say yeah than to, than to double down and look like an idiot. A lot of people can't do, they would rather be right than know the truth. And I know that sounds like the same thing, but there's a difference. They just want to be r- the righteous one rather than actually the accurate one. I'd rather, I'm, maybe that makes me autistic. No, see, no, I gave her 25 stitches, not 26 stitches. That's the only shit that matters to me. And that's, I feel like a different species almost. Oh, see, I, I'm, I'm the same way. That's all I care about is I just want to know like truth or what. I don't want to sound like fucking Ben Shapiro. Right. He put me on a, he put me on some Schindler's list of alt-right or alt-right sympathetic personalities a few years ago. Somebody asked him and I, I was on there. I was like, well, that's weird, Ben. I mean, the one thing, the one thing I'll say about Ben is he's, he's definitely got that elitist. Oh, these white identitarians are retarded trailer trash and hey, identity politics is destructive. And then he puts on his yarmulke and waves an Israeli flag. It's like, okay, (laughs) all right. Yeah. Your identity politics for you, but nobody else got you little Ben. I guess at least he's not being cryptic about it. Let's okay. This is Hitler and Mein Kampf talking about arguing with Jews. I'm not reading this to talk about arguing with Jews, but it really reminds me of arguing with some of these people that have no honor online. He goes, the more I argued with them, the better I came to know their dialectic. First, they counted on the stupidity of their adversary. And then when there was no other way out, they themselves simply played stupid. If all this didn't help, they pretended not to understand, or if challenged, they changed the subject in a hurry, quoted platitudes, which if you accepted them, They immediately related to entirely different matters. And then, if again attacked, gave ground and pretended not to know exactly what you were talking about. Whenever you tried to attack one of these apostles, your hand closed on a jelly-like slime, which divided up and poured through your fingers, but in the next moment collected again. But if you really struck one of these fellows so telling a blow that, observed by the audience, he couldn't help but agree, and if you believed that this had taken you at least one step forward, your amazement was great, the next day, the Jew, this is Hitler, Jim saying the dishonest online arguer had not the slightest recollection of the day before. He rattled off his same old nonsense as though nothing at all had happened. And if indignantly challenged, affected amazement. He couldn't remember a thing except that he had, he had proved the correctness of his assertions the previous day. Sometimes I stood there thunderstruck. I didn't know what to be more amazed at, the agility of their tongues or their virtuosity at lying. Gradually, I began to hate them. 
And that's, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about these people. Like it's futile to argue with people who have no honor. And I heard, and this, this kind of struck me like a year or two ago, somebody said, well, you should only debate with people that share the same goals with you. Otherwise, you know, you're just enemies and you seek to destroy them. Like if you can't even agree, like where you want to take the world, there's really no sense in debating anyway, I guess. But I'd like, you know, I'd like to, I, I open challenge to debate the world. It's like, you believe in equality, prove it. You believe in Christ's re- resurrection. All right. I'm open. Uh, you have Polaroids. But when you, when you realize, um, you know, and there are people all, it's funny. Like I was in Chicago. The, the chapter that starts off my book is about my brother who got murdered, but I read that in front of a crowd in Chicago. And then we hung out with some people at the literary collective to organize this thing. And one's this old communist guy, nicest guy you'd ever fucking want to meet. And you could talk about anything, not offended. You know, I don't have to agree with it's all in their fucking personality. And that's not the only reason I've been so relentless with the left is the left has had almost all the cultural power and cultural power power is what creates assholes. Because they know they can get away with shit. They know they can lie. They know they can bully. But did, was I ever under the illusion that if the right organized and, you know, gained power, that they wouldn't be the same assholes they were 100? No. No. I, I, you know, maybe I do have a religious view of the world in the sense that people are damaged. I do believe in something like original sin. I'm not, not sin, but like human nature is corrupt. People don't tend to tell the truth. They tend to lie in order to step on other people and they tend to pretend they're good in order to do bad things to other people, you know? So maybe I'm just some like hyper moralistic, agno- I don't know where you'd fucking classify me, but it could change. All I need is like to be persuaded. And I, I mean, reality persuaded me that people aren't equal. This happened around 1991. <laughs> I talk about it. That this, there's, there's something that I've never put it in a book anthology yet, but years ago I wrote something the day I left the left. And I was, uh, I was, you know, because I grew up watching Norman Lear sitcoms in the 70s. I, I was told who the good guys and bad guys were, and I believed it. And I worked at the L.A. Reader, and, and I was, you know, working class, and everyone who worked there was upper class. And I did this article. I hung out with Mexican stoner gangs in East L.A. And I don't think this is a phenomenon anymore, but in the 80s, there was this weird phenomenon of Mexican gang members who were not cholos. You know what a cholo is. That's the classic Mexican gang member. That look hasn't changed since the 40s. But these stoners would grow their hair long, listen to Slayer and Metallica, and in, in extreme cases, they would inject themselves with fluids that made their skin lighter. Oh, wow. I found this was like fascinating. It's like a weird way to, to assimilate, you know? Because East LA is like 98% mm-hmm. Mexican. It's another country, really. So I, I just found it kind of poignant. This is a weird gang culture where they're denying who they are to fit into a culture with... And one of the lines I quoted from one of these guys was, uh, don't call us Mexicans, call us stoners. And I would get weed from these guys. And after the article came out, I got fired for writing that article. The, the owner of the magazine, whose uh, who's, uh, wife's parents owned casinos, so another you know champagne socialist. He's like, these people are scumbags. Why would you associate with them? I'm like, well, hey, you know, if you, were, you grew up in the Madavia housing projects and choppers were going over your projects in the middle of the night and shirtless cholos were running through there with machetes at 3 a.m. You might have a different view on life. You know, this guy, you know, who I probably considered himself empathetic, just couldn't empathize. But then I go over to get weed after this article comes out and there's one of them there and he's threading a tattoo needle to give himself a tattoo. He's like, man, that was fucked up, Holmes, what you wrote. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, you called us, uh, said, don't call us uh, Mexicans, call us stoners. I'm like, I have it on tape. He's like, you're glad it's just me here, man. We will fuck you up, man. 
And I got in the car and I remember shouting something. I'm like, you're here because you're too fucking stupid. To, and, and it just came out of me. And it's like, whoa, that's not how I think. But what I realized at that moment is like, wait a minute, I'm here talking about these Republican, these evil Republican corporation owners. Put this guy in front of a corporation and see what happens. There's this idea, oh, you're down and oppressed, you're righteous. No, it just means you're losing. That's all it means. It's not a moral gauge. It's just you're, where you are in the hierarchy. And it might suggest that your people were dumber <laughs> or easily fooled. You know, that's all. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you're good. But yeah, that was, that was the pivotal thing. When I got threatened by people, I lost my job defending. It's like, fuck you. You're just as bad. You just don't have, you don't have the, uh, the access to wield the kind of power that some of these other people do. I mean, it's like, okay, so no one in Swaziland ever dropped a nuclear bomb on anyone. I understand that. No one in Swaziland ever had the intelligence to develop a nuclear bomb, though. So it's not really righteous. Like you're running around with pea shooters and there's nothing righteous in losing a gunfight, you know? That's, and I've never read Beyond Good and Evil or uh, Toward a Genealogy of Morals by Nietzsche. I'm going to before I do this book because it seems like it might be a lot of similar stuff. It's like just the title Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah, look at the world, true and false, not good and evil. And if you're going to derive ethics, derive it from what's real and what's not. That's the only way. Otherwise, you're just you're being a primitive, super superstitious fucking moron who's going to cut somebody's head off and feel like you're going to heaven for well, it. Well, see, that's the that's the thing with like um, Redneck Manifesto. Uh, if you really start breaking it down to just like a classism, I mean, that that's fucking Marxism, you know? <laughs> like that's a that's one of the main points of Marxism is uh, that it's cl- that it's class related. Of course, it's you know bastardized now, but if, you know that's the that's the main gist. There's only been a slight alteration since I wrote that in, in my worldview. Back then, I believe that racial tribal instincts didn't really exist, but that like the elites created them and created division. Since then, I believe that those instincts are natural, and that the elites exploit them. I believe, and this is one of the reasons it's like, yeah, even when I was the wiggeriest fucking wigger in the world in the eighties and no, there the, there's the white guy and he made the basket. I'm like, yeah. And I've noticed you pay attention to those counterintuitive instincts that come up against what you believe in. It was just like when, uh, when I was ceasing to be a liberal, I was reading Timothy Leary's jail notes and he in Texas in the sixties, what he did was he was trying to go over to Brownsville and he turned around on the bridge, didn't go into Mexico, came back and they found a marijuana roach in his ashtray. And I think gave him like 10 years and somehow he escaped, he escaped and he wound up in Algeria under care of the black Panthers and uh, including Eldridge Cleaver. And they started, they captured him, kidnapped him, treated him like a slave. And I'm thinking, no, that's not true. Black people would be good if they had positions of power. No, this couldn't. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to, but I, it's like, no, nah, man, something else is going on. Those are the things you got to pay attention to. If you have a tugging that goes against what you tell yourself is real, pay attention to it. Because that, that, that'll lead you somewhere, like a little closer to the fucking truth. Spe- speaking of which, uh, like Timothy Leary, and, and answer me when you do that Timothy Leary interview and uh, leading up to it, you're talking about like driving up to his house. Uh, what was cool about him? He had this like real S&M looking short haired German woman taking care of him at that time. I'm not sure what was going on. I don't know if she was changing his diapers or what, but uh, he, he was up in years. What was really cool about him, and I write about that, like I had this boom box, I brought it up, and I do the interview, and I get back, and I realize I'd had it set to radio instead of tape, and so I recorded like AM hip-hop the whole time, and I called him uh, Mr. Leary, uh, and I explained, he's like, yeah, sure, and he did the interview again, so he was really nice. The one I think I was most excited about was Russ Meyer, meeting him, 
And, but and here, but here's another thing. Like I was still a wigger. I interviewed Russ Meyer and he took me out into his garage to show me like movie stills that I could use for the magazine article. And I was going to go out through the, I was going to leave through the garage. Like, no, come out through the front door, like the white man. And I remember, I remember thinking that's horrible. And now it's like, now it's like, well, what was wrong with me back then? I'm like, why, why'd I been, tra- it's weird to realize you've been trained into self-hatred for like no reason. I mean, there's like a Larry David line, like uh, some other Jewish guy attacks him outside a movie theater for whistling Wagner. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, and he goes, you're a self-hating Jew. And he's like, I hate myself. There are plenty of reasons I hate myself. None of them have to be to do with being Jewish. <laughs> you know, if you're going to hate yourself, it might not have to anything to do with being white. You know, just a convenient fucking excuse, but uh, not attractive. You self-hating white people wasn't attractive when blacks were shuffling and apologizing. It's not attractive in anybody. You're just uh, you're bending over. So, and people, you know, are you racist? Yeah, I hate white people these days. <laughs> They're the least. They have the lowest self esteem, and it's it's just ridiculous. And you know, I'm I had my twenty three and me done. They don't distinguish between uh, English and Irish, which baffles me. I'm pretty sure they're different genetically, but I'm seventy four point seven percent English and Irish. I'm like ninety nine point nine to one hundred percent European, Northern European. But a uh, hundred years ago, England size of state of Georgia that I live in now shitty little rainy Island, no natural resources. hundred years ago, had the largest landmass empire in world history, bigger than the Mongols, bigger than the Roman empire. They controlled 24% of the world's land and decided that was bad. Decided that was something to feel bad about rather than pretty fucking proud. And everyone knows what's happened to England in the interim. It's, it's, depressing as hell you i'm sure you're familiar with uh, spengler's concept of the civilization as an organism you know having its ascendancy yeah i agree with that too it's like like ideas right yeah but but there was a do you ever read the lucifer principle by howard bloom i haven't checked it out he writes about that and i'm not sure how much he cribbed from spengler but it's about he he treats civilizations like organisms and they act much differently on the ascendance than they do on the decline and that no king has ever been routed from power when he was at the height of his tyranny it's when they start apologizing that they get their fucking throats slit. And it's funny, this, this book I think was written in the 80s or 90s, and uh, he predicted that like the last third of the book is about the rise of Islam. And it's like the Islamic world is acting like a culture on the rise. They are taking no prisoners, they are killing, they are not apologizing, they're slaughtering anybody who criticizes them. What's the West doing? Bending over, spreading its an- cheeks, grabbing its ankles. It's like, well, that doesn't bode well for people in the West. And this is one thing where I get miscategorized. Oh, save the West and glorious Western civilization. I'm not into any of that shit either. But you got to understand, I mean, I've been to prison. You're, to some people, this, this is what I realized the day after the LA riots. Because I was still a wigger. And you're walking around and black people are consciously trying to make eye contact with you and intimidate you. I said, wow, it doesn't really matter how wiggery I am. Or if I can, you know, I know Awesome Dre and the, and the Hardcore Committee from Detroit's new album. Like... I'm my skin color is a gang tattoo to these people. And that's, that's as white as I get. I'm just defensively white. I don't give a fuck about being white. I don't give a fuck if you're black, you know, purple, whatever they fucking say. But it's like, if you're going to target me, then I have to pay attention or I'm an idiot. And this is a story I've told before, but man, this, this cuts deep. And this is the type of story you'll never see in the Atlanta journal constitution or time or newsweek or any Netflix or vice documentary. When my son was two years old, my wife at the time got a uh, got a job, and we had to take him to daycare. It was in Stone Mountain, black-owned daycare. He lasted there two days. She came to pick him up at 5 p.m. both days, and they have surveillance cameras. When she went into the lobby, the surveillance camera showed him 
out on the playground by himself crying his eyes out. When she took him home the second night, he had bruise marks on his little tiny two-year-old biceps, like someone's fingers had forcibly held him down. And she went to the headmistress of this place and said, what's this about? And she said, you Caucasians bruise easily. So I know I'm I'm raising a son in a world where black people have been trained to hate him for the color of skin and expect something from him. I got to protect him. Not telling him to go out and attack blacks, but it's like, don't fucking be attacked. And so they, they've, I mean, I've said a long time, the left is a Nazi factory. If there's any white identity at all, it came from the way the left just would not shut the fuck up about white people. I never gave a fuck until you wouldn't shut the fuck up. Right. And it's like, and then Kaczynski said this, if they were serious about racial harmony, they'd, they'd lay off white people. You know, I had a similar experience growing up. Um, I went to a high school in Somerville, Georgia. First day that I came in, um, how, you know, at that time I was like dressing completely like a stereotypical punk kid and I had like tight jeans on or whatever. And one of the first things said to me was this uh, black guy comes up to me and goes, why are you wearing them tight pants? Uh, you think you was a girl? Uh, and then like, you know, just that and constantly being called a faggot um, by black people. <laughs> like it, it is a complete divide. Uh, it's, I, I think that a lot of, a lot of these people that live in a sheltered life don't understand. Like they just think that all black people are just inherently good and are even more racist because they don't understand that, you know, there's a difference. I mean, this has been said a million times though. You know, I'm not the first person to say I this. remember seeing a, and I don't know how accurate this was, some report that an Obama, when Obama first got elected, whites, the whites who voted for him lived in mostly white areas. <laughs> I can't see how that's true because I think he mostly gets, uh, you know, white votes in the cities and stuff possibly true but that's such like you know who tim wise is no tim wise is this jewish guy he i think he did a book called white like me and that that's kind of a meme dear fellow white people you have jewish people saying fellow white people i'm you know horrified and we should all marianne williamson did this she held something where you know they held a prayer apologizing <laughs> to black people and shit and but tim wise is like gen genocidally anti-white when the tea party won elections in 2010 he did this essay it's like that's right okay enjoy it because you hear that that's the sound of your hearts and they're going to stop beating you're old and you're going to die out and your time is over that's well fuck man that sounds kind of racially hateful and and you know what happens i say hey that sounds racial okay you nazi fuck you then so with, with people like that, you know, that's what I noticed too in my very minor book, The Headache Factory. If people come at you trying to shame you, the only thing I like, I can be shamed of, oh, fuck, I misspelled that. Oh, I got the date wrong? Fuck. But like if people, oh, humiliate, humiliate. It's like, I know, because this is what happened with the girl I went to prison over. Her whole theory for, oh, she was going to reveal this and that about me. It's like, what, the things that we already planned to write about in the zine we were going to do? But then the minute Spin Magazine does an article on the case, Spin Magazine did a six-page article on my case, and it was revealed that she ate dog shit and spit it at me, and uh, she threatened everybody. Like, And some of the things... You should have heard her crying foul. It's like, I can never get a job now. I'm always going to be that girl that ate dog shit. And when I saw this pattern in the Headache Factory too, there's this Korean guy who stalked me and Gavin McInnes for fucking years. He was a drooling fanboy until we just said, eh, you're weird. Leave us alone. Went on a fucking can to this day persists in it. And after a year, I mean, this guy, he personally contacted every one of my Twitter followers. 
you know, Jim is afraid to have a debate with me. And he, he proposes debate. He's like, well, my first question is when, when did you stop beating the wife, you know, the mother, <laughs> the mother of your child? So I don't think that sounds like a debate, but, uh, I just ignore Cause like I, one of these people, again, like he could be proved wrong. And he thought he had this, he was announcing he had this picture of Gavin McInnes passed out with a black dick. I'd like mouth. to see that. Well, and I'm, I'm like, Gavin, what's, what's this about? You know? And he's like, well, I think he's talking about, he's mixing up stories. There's a famous Polaroid taken by Ryan McDuff. One of these vice photographers where somebody's snorting cocaine off a black dick, but like, why? Like, you know, my wife's a fag hag. Gavin said, if you thought I had sucked black dick, I'd get more pussy, you know? And this guy's whole thing with me was that I, I said that I liked, I recommended Kevin McDonald's, the culture of critique book on this Facebook group I used to have. And he went after me, anti-Semite, that's anti-Semitic. I'm actually, I'm narrating that audiobook now. <laughs> and, and like a week, a week, a week after I got paid to do it, it was yanked from Amazon. But the guy kept going, you know, oh, you know, you fucking, uh, I can't, what do they get to you in prison? Like this Jew hating, virulent, foaming at the mouth. I'm like, read the books. I'm not going to read the fucking book. I'm like, well, shut up then. The only one foaming at the mouth is you. Well, but, and then he starts threatening people in this group. I'm like, if you don't leave them alone and be cool, I'm going to ban you. Well, fuck you. You're banned. So he went on this years long thing where he contacted my employer, my wife, everybody, my brother who got murdered in Paris was Bucky. He'd go in the Tacky's Mag comics, well, Bucky sucks dick in hell. Just a horrible, objectively horrible things. Well, but that's because he's an anti-Semite. And, by, and he tried to negotiate with me and Gavin. Well, Gavin, since you're obviously a Nazi, you know, your followers don't want to see you with a black dick in your mouth. And Jim, I can spare you from being outed as an anti-Semite. I'm like, what, for recommending a book that I recommended in public? Like absolutely fucking delusional, but like after a year of this, like constant, like, like what little of a life does this guy have? After the year of this, I'm like, what do we do? And Gavin said, well, let's just document what he's done. That's all. Like not, not even criticize him. Just say, look at what this guy's been doing to us for a year. We did that. What's happened? Oh my God. You're trying to destroy my life. You're stalking me. Leave me alone. I'm shamed. I, I can't even go to school now. It's like, ah, okay. I understand what's going on. This is what happened actually with a girl too. The first girl I, I hooked up with after I got out, <laughs> got out of prison, after I got divorced the last time, um, she was married in Vegas. I think she liked cuckolding her husband because she, uh, oh yeah, Jim and I are going up to a, a chalet 60 miles north of Vegas, you know, to work on a, work on a website for the weekend, hubby. And, uh, you know, and, and she started getting weird and obsessive and I, and this is a tacky line, but I said, Hey, Hey doll, you always said this would be okay if I told you, like, I think I'm going to fly solo. She's like, what, what I, I, I can tell him, you know, I'll marry you. And I'm like, nah, Hey, you know, I'm getting divorced. You, you're married and got kid. Oh no. So she started fucking attacking every girl on this Facebook group, calling them stupid. And I'm like, can you just come? And you, no matter how nice you are to them, if they're this type of person, they just, it, there's nothing you can do at that point. So I banned her from that. So she went on this whole Twitter thing. Oh, don't ask him about his son. Yeah, he's 50 and he's getting divorced and all that. And went after this girl that I know who was a friend, this young girl was like fucking 18 at the time. Oh, hey, clown. And she got in her head that this girl was my pimp in the Midwest and was hooking me up with girls and like all fucking wrong. But uh, and just kept attacking her and wouldn't stop month after month after fucking month. So I, uh, I fed this girl. I'm like, all right, uh, show her the screen cap. Oh, this is where she's talking about how her drunk judge lawyer husband beat the shit out of her because they were both too drunk when they were in a cab coming home in Vegas and she couldn't get the uh, 
the key code into their their apartment building and you know just warn her that if you want to play this two people can play she immediately shut up so this pattern here and <laughs> there there's a guy that's been uh, been biting at my ankles for a little while now i won't get into it but it's the same fucking pattern you say they come after you with shame what they're telling you is they are easily shamed and and they freak the fuck out and you don't even have to you, it's like all i'll do is post post a screen cap of how you're behaving I'm not going to call you a subhuman. I'm not going to call you a piece of shit, but they flip out. People really signal how you can get to them with how they come after you. Yeah, but if it doesn't bother you, then why even address it at all? The part that bothers me and what I think I'm becoming wise to is when they lie. And I think at this point, some of them know that and that's why they fucking lie. So what I got to do now is just accept, well, that's, they're a liar. That's all, you know, because otherwise it doesn't impact you. Otherwise, you know, I got a pretty good, I got a pretty good life right now. Well, most of the ducks are in, in line and everything's in, in Godian terms. I've got it all together right now. How important is uh, respect to you, if at all? Do you give a shit about people no, uh, no. about pe- being respected as a person or would you simply prefer for people to focus on your work? Self-respect. Self-respect's all that matters. I mean, it's nice, you know. It's especially, I mean, people I don't respect anyway. Who cares? I mean, I'd rather, uh, I mean, I... I remember a, a girl that's written about in uh, my new book, The Bomb Inside My Brain. She told me once, one of the wisest things she ever said was, you worry about the wrong people and what they think. And I think that's there's something in me that maybe it's autism. It's like, no, that's a lie. You know, like I said, I gave her 25 stitches, not 26. It's like, it's, it's kind of stupid to get, uh, who cares? The liars are going to lie. Lying liars going to lie, you know? Uh, but, uh, and should folk, there are people I respect. And it's like, well, they'd probably not respect me for even getting embroiled with these people. So it's like, listen to that. I care about the people you actually respect. But it's, uh, you know, if, if I would be afraid to tell one of these people I respect, what, you know, that I'm in uh, a flame war with some moron, then that's a good sign. I shouldn't be in a flame war with this moron. Yeah. That's all. I was reading <laughs> something Zizek wrote where he was talking about how he didn't care. He's like, yeah, call me whatever slob, uh, Zizek, I don't Slavoyage, but uh, he's like, I yeah, I don't care about that. I just, in fact, respect in some ways distracts people from looking at the work. In some some sense, he was like, that's all I care about is that people uh, pay attention to what I'm what I'm talking about or what I'm writing. Like personal personal respect has no no concern. I mean, uh, one of the reasons I got into writing was well, the main reason was I wanted to be an actor. Parents said no. It's like all right, I'll drive a cab and put myself through journalism school. Cause I got accepted to go to acting school, but they, they would not put any money behind it. But, uh, I was stupid enough to think that you could really change the world. And I realized after a long time, it's like, you can't, the only benefit is you can find like-minded people out there. So you don't go as insane in this world, but as far as changing human nature, really stupid to think you can do that. That's welded, you know, and until they, they really figure out neurology and you can reprogram brains, people are going to be stupid and clannish and into shaming and, and hiding behind good to commit atrocities. There's nothing you can write that's going to change that. So that's there's a kind of uh, comfort <laughs> in that. You realize you wasted a lot of your time, so you just spend it uh, doing things. One of the things I want to stop writing about is politics. I've written just about everything I can say. The reason I was drawn to it is this, this primitive religious, like, oh, look at, look at who they're throwing the guilt at now. One thing you've never heard me say is, that's right, white people or, you know, our noble western civilization and we're the good guy you never hear me say we in anything i write and that's where people are oh he's a, i did this 
podcast with this guy. He's well-meaning enough, pretty dim-witted from Chicago a few years ago. And I clearly explained, like, I'm not right-wing. I'm not left-wing. I think that's a factor of evolutionary psychology, us, them, in-group, out-group. I don't think that way. And so what do you call the, the interview? I, I, and I'm not right-wing. Jim Goat, lion of the right. There's no point. There's no point. Even the ones who, I mean, that's the, the ones who don't like you, you expect to be misrepresented. But in my life, the ones who fucking go after you and try to harass you and shit are people who liked you a little too much. And you didn't turn out into, you know, what they thought you were or you didn't reciprocate. Oh, yeah. That's, I'm sure you've seen the king of comedy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rupert Public. Robert De Niro and J- Jerry Lewis. When, when's the point where he stops trying to sell his jokes to Jerry and he kidnaps and tries to kill him is when Jerry said, I only told you to call my office to get rid of you. Right. It's when Rupert pick, pick, pushed Pupnik. Jerry to say, yeah. Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> they they Pupkin. call him Pupnik and Pumpkin and everything else. But it's like, and that, that's such, because I've been pushed to that point with people. It's like, I've, been, I've tried to be nice to you, tried to patronize you tried to let you down easy. You've been acting like a fucking moron, but I've been too nice to say it. Now I have no choice. I fucking hate your guts. You're a loser. I always hated you. And then I wind up doubly hating that because you, now you've made me into the asshole and you're going to feel justified for stalking and harassing for the rest of your life. Isn't that true? So I think of one thing I can learn, it's like to, to be a phony ass and say, oh, that's great. No, that's a really good uh, music video you did. No, I got to get back to work. You know, it's like that, you know, you realize Maybe that is autism and thinking that you can be honest and get along in this world. <laughs> no, I've always noticed that that that's what makes people hate you. If you just, you know, I, I'm around a lot of people that make music. And when people are like, hey, man, what do you think about this? I just learned very quickly to go, oh, man, that's really good. I never, never ask that question. I'll send somebody something I will never ask. What did you think of it? And I hate being asked that. If I have a good opinion, I'll tell you, you know. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's, you get it put into that position too. But that's, those are the people that have given me static throughout this tiny professional career I've had is uh, ones who liked you too much. And then, and I, I hate modern psychology. I think it's a secular religion. I think they're still shooting in the dark, you know, and they, they act like schizophrenia is something you can measure. And so I understand you're trying to figure out what's going on. <clears throat> I, I don't know. Everything's projection and uh, the, the good people are the ones you got to watch out for. <laughs> the, the most the people with the worst fucking reputations i've known have always been sweethearts and it's it's funny how that works it's almost luciferian or something like that. you know every cop's a criminal every sinner's a saint not not that extreme because i don't want to just flip the narrative but if people are expending a lot of time screaming about how good they are to me that suggests that they're insecure about it otherwise why would they need to even like i, I didn't say you were bad where, where where's this coming from <laughs> Where's this, what dark place is this coming from inside you? You know, it's the do-gooders. And that's, that's why like I'm, I'm railing on these traditional Catholics and all this shit. It's like, you motherfuckers disappointed me. Like I said, I ran from the left when they became religious and you're going back to being the old church ladies. And if that shit worked, it would have lasted. I mean, that shit came, you know, that I kind of understand how culture operates. It's a response to your environment, technology, everything has changed. So pretending like it's the 1200s again, you just look like a fucking LARPing idiot. But they don't see it. They got scared after Charlottesville. So, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ. Really? That's going to save the West. Do you realize demographically Christians are non-white worldwide and your your religion kind of commands you to accept them? How's that going to work again? It just seems like a retreat and a weird, pathetic one. And uh, 
Yeah, it's just disappointing to me because at least for a while, the cultural power was with the left and they were acting like the moralistic assholes. So I guess I mean, may, maybe some of these guys will to combat Islamic fanatics. We're going to have to become cr- Christian fanatics. Yeah, in some sense, wouldn't these guys, the, uh, um, the, re- the replacement of Central Americans uh, in the U.S. would seem desirable because they come from a, they're it, probably the most intensely Roman Catholic, certainly the most ro- romantic culture that still exists. The um, Catholic Church is way behind pushing illegal immigration, you know, because that's that's more Catholics. They're all like, you know, Mesoamerican Catholics from Central and South America. Absolutely. I don't know. But Catholics, it's like, oh, you know, Jimmy's got issues with his daddy. It's like, no, I, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. <laughs> I know what it's like and I know how those people operate. Wasn't me as as a failed Catholic. I gave it everything until I realized this was just some some superstitious bullshit for nasty people. Jim, do you find any social value or cultural significance in biting the hand that feeds you? This was certainly something you did a lot in Answer Me. Right, that's what I thought was the innovation in Answer Me, or like even like nobody was criticized because you know the whole under, no one uses the term underground anymore. Yeah, it became alternative sometime in the nineties, but it used to be the underground. And I did an article, The Underground is a Lie. Incredible article. <laughs> Thanks. But you have all these, you know, spoiled kids. Eh, you know, they're shooting up her and fuck you, pig, fuck you. And it's like, wait a minute. Let's turn the camera. Let's see how ethical you are. And I've never seen anybody really take that approach. It's like, well, what's, you know, and you see journalists these days screaming about like them being called out on tweets they made five years ago. It's like, yeah, what's good for the goose buddies? They think they can just, they're in this sanctified little bubble where they can just point fingers and not have fingers pointed back at them. That's not how it works. So I think of that, it was unique in like, oh, you're reading this? Fuck you. No one had ever taken that, like not, not just an enemy, an intruder. Like, what do you, how did you get in here? <laughs> almost i actually read that um last week i was going back reading um reading the answer me issues and i fa- it's it's insane how fucking like it's still the same it's gotten worse in this sense back then you could go to a punk show and there'd be skinheads and rastas and nobody would fight you know, you could, there was actually kind of a tolerant world back there, at least. I mean, the tolerance of Matt, who gives a shit about skin color? That's all really literally superficial shit. People used to tolerate different opinions and that's gone. Now it's war constantly. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but it's not going to be good. Somebody's going to win. That's how it works. I guess you can't have a truly because most people are drones I guess you have to have most people, most everybody thinking the same where there's going to be chaos. They can't handle it. They can't handle ideological diversity. But that's that's the thing. I Back then, I mean, do you remember fact sheet five? Does that phrase ring any bells? Back when there were zines, fact sheet five was the Bible of zines. It would come out, it was on newsprint. It would come out every three months and every issue was like a review of like 1,200 to 1,500 zines. And you would have American Renaissance in there next to some anarchist vegan thing. And it's like, well, you know, they're getting their writings better, good layout. Like, and it was, that's what it was judged on. Not, oh, don't read this because it's evil. It's like, well, here are some white supremacists from Idaho who have Aryan baking recipes. And next we, and, and it wasn't judged. God, I fucking, I yearn for that world. But, uh, I think, but I think what happened was there was more, people were more on the same page at maybe, demographically back in the early nineties. I think what's happening is like no one's on the same page anymore. So everything's conflict until the dust settles. 
So you you can get destroyed even if you think differently now. It's, it's a shitty time in history. <laughs> Exciting too, I guess, but kind of depressing. It's like, ah, oh, people suck. It's like, that's why I've never been right-wing our people. People suck. Did you ever, did you ever check out that band KLF? The KLF? Didn't they do a video with some foxy black? Come on, baby. You want to take me for a ride? Yeah, yeah. yeah? Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were this incredibly successful. I don't know what it was. Uh, Electronic. Uh, house. Yeah, yeah. But um, then they went out with a bang where they were at this award show in England where uh, they fired in like a, I forget what the, it was some kind of machine gun into the audience with blanks. And or I think the original plan was that the guy was going to cut his hand off. So, uh, so this was like a, a his cop out was to like shoot this gun at the audience um, and then announce pussy voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, what was the other thing? They were also, they were playing their famous hit, but instead of just the band playing it, they, they had uh what was it? Extreme noise terror. The, the grindcore band, like doing this cover <laughs> on stage with them. Um, and then as they go off stage, there's this like voice announcing over the intercom that like KLF has left the music business or something. And they did actually do this. And then they uh, they 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 took a, a million. They had a million pounds in uh, in cash and uh, burned it all in a fire. They did this on video, but uh, nobody. I mean, I don't. Nobody does this anymore. <laughs> well, they they also uh, to make it more extreme with the KLF. Uh, after they burned the million pounds, uh, you know, they took a vow of silence or whatever because they they said if they got press over burning the million pounds, it would be pointless. Like it would be an attention getting scheme. So then they didn't do any interviews for like what twenty years, something like that. It's insane. I mean, it's. It, it's kind of hilarious. Wow. Yeah, I think they've just Bill Drummond like kind of just came out of the woodwork or something. But uh yeah, yeah, I mean these these guys were they had they had an ethic, you know. <laughs> I, I, well, that's I mean that's what I always said about. I mean, I'm not a Rush Limbaugh fan. I he always like I just always think of bloating and flatulence. He's just he looks looks and sounds like he's filled with farts all the time. But there was something in the 80s where Martin Sheen was screaming about homelessness and he offered to bus some people from Skid Row over to Malibu so they could live at Martin Sheen's place. And it's a really important concept. Like we were talking earlier about Tim Wise screaming about, you know, segregation and he lives in a 99.7% white neighborhood. If you're going to scream about poor people, give them your money or shut up. Otherwise, I'm going to start speculating that you're screaming about it to look good and not to actually help anybody. You know, like if you care about African hunger, send them a sandwich. No one has to know about it. You know, if you're screaming about it and nothing's done, that whole like, you know, save our girls when they were being raped by Boko Haram. It's like, unless you're saving any girls, you're just pointing fingers and looking good. You know, it was the whole Coney thing. And that guy had a naked freak out. <laughs> Coney 20. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's just so easy now for everyone to make a spectacle of, of their their good guy badge, so to speak, where it's, it's just but why, like, uh, like, again, like if you don't, if you think you're good, why do you need to announce it? Kind of the idea tying into that words are violence. This sort of, it was one of the most insane modern concepts I can think of. It's where it's just like people have paid attention that they pay more attention and give more credence to words and language than they do to actions and deeds. They've got it. And I wrote about this, I think in ship magnet about the rape issue where they got every, where words were rape. But, you know, or, you know, the same people are against rape. Oh, I hope a rapist gets raped and raped in prison. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Do 
you. And I hate to disappoint everyone, but I, fuck, I was in two and a half years. I was nine months in county jail, like a year at a minimum place, which was the worst place. It was like 110 double-decker uh, army-style bunks in this dorm where, like, you're surrounded by 109 other guys 24 hours a day. Just maddening. And then uh, the penitentiary for nine months with, you know, walls 30 feet tall and everything. And I don't know, no one, no one in there I saw as a monster. I, there were serial killers, but I've some, there's something fucked up about me. It's like, well, you know, maybe this, okay, he, he did what pulled out her tongue and yeah, maybe I don't want to be sold up with him. Maybe, but guy probably still cries about his mom. Guy probably goes to the, the prison salon to get the gray dyed out. You know, they had these little quirks. Reminds me, uh, <laughs> Richard, I know this guy that my friend Nick knew. We called him Dr. Sick. He was this uh, homosexual necrophile out in L.A. And he he, he uh, recorded himself interviewing Richard Ramirez, the night stalker in prison. And Ramirez was a guy who skull-fucked grandmothers he'd killed, like would fuck them in the eyeball socket. But he's on this tape complaining that the new serial killing trading cards made him look like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute. Like this guy who did these horrendous things, he's he's petty. And he's worried about how he, he's, oh, fuck, he's human. Right, right. Well, that's a th- the thing uh, that, that's pointed out. It's something like, um, you know, Himmler, a Nazi architect. People are always shocked by this, that he, he was like this really accomplished violin player. And he was playing these uh, beautiful late Beethoven string quartets and and it was just for people to imagine that somebody could be emotionally moved and touched by this this music that's that's been so like emotionally resonant historically for so many people that he feels the same thing that you might feel that's that's deeply unsettling for a lot they can't handle that one of the reasons i put out the new book the bomb inside my brain which is all personal essays uh over the past 20 years um <laughs> it, it's not to protest to the world that i'm a human being too because most people are never going to see that but there will be some people who read that and chuck polinick gave me maybe the best endorsement i've ever heard he was on joe rogan there's this weird little moment they're talking all of a sudden uh chuck goes to joe are you, are you from georgia and joe's like georgia why, why would you ask that he's like well i kind of have this secret friendship with jim goat he's like why is it secret it's like because everybody hates him everybody thinks he's evil but i read this thing he wrote about his brother who got killed and it kills me and like you know i want to cry and i think for a moment it's like well maybe we're all the evil ones and he's the only good one it's like well that's you know thanks chuck that's (laughs) bombastic and you know i don't look at myself that way but um i think it'll fuck some minds up they read some of these stories like this guy might have more heart than i do holy shit and and fuck that's what i like doing with running fucking someone's entire world up and they wake up the next day and they have to look at the world different. If I can accomplish that, that's great. Well, I think that's what art used to do as well. I mean, just altering altering perception. That's This is not an enviable position to be in, but I, the way my brain's constructed compared to the way it appears most people's brains are constructed, I've got no problem seeing everyone as human. Doesn't mean I like more than 1% of them. Doesn't mean I'd want to spend more than a minute with any of them. Doesn't mean I think they're jokes or ridiculous or a bad taste or smell or ugly or any of that. But I know, yeah, you cry. You have people you love. You you know, you've suffered. I see all that. My entire life, people had a lot of trouble seeing that in me. And that's not, like I said, not not a great place. You know, he's whining. It's it's not, not a happy place to fucking be. And... But like Chuck said, and Chuck's always been a nice guy, so I'm not going to judge Chuck, but maybe he is the one that's like a little... 
a little ahead of the curve or something. I I, uh, I quoted something uh, in in the book too. There's an article why pit bulls are the best kissers. One of my two dogs is a pit bull, and the fucking affection those dogs lavish on you is crazy. They're the most affectionate breed I've ever seen. And I quote something from Dostoevsky, who I read in prison and identified with, and I realized, oh, he was an epileptic too. Because when I was reading uh, Notes from Underground, it, it was the creepiest reading experience I've ever heard. I'm like, did I write this? Because this guy thinks exactly like I do. But there was a line in there. It's like, you know, in, in your life, you've only taken halfway what I take to the extreme. And although I may seem dead to you, in reality, I may be a thousand times more alive than you. And that's that's why I was defending pit bulls. Eh, they might seem evil, but they're actually the biggest lovers. It's like, Eh, you know, maybe I, maybe I trigger something in people where they just have to throw all their shit on me. And it's like, fine, I got plenty of room inside, but, uh, it's weird. It's weird. Cause this book is so fucking heartfelt and there's stuff in there. Like people, there was something core Jefferson, a black guy who used to write for Gawker. He's like, man, I wish he would stop being a racist asshole. Cause when you read something like this, it's like, yeah, I don't think I'm a racist asshole. Maybe, maybe you don't get that part of me, but if I can accomplish, if I can accomplish getting people to think I'm human, I think I've finally gotten revenge against my parents, <laughs> and I and I can just be happy, you know. But I don't understand. Yeah, the way people can dehumanize others in the service of some humanitarian cause blows my mind, and it's depressing. But I guess it's the source of a lot of comedy if you can wrangle it correctly. The do-gooders are just fucking awful across the board. It's always, I mean, everyone I've known who's really good has no need to tell you about it. They just go around doing it. Reminds me of Dice Clay. He used to talk about back in the eighties, everyone was like throwing all these charities for the rainforest. He's like me. I don't have to, you know, I do it anonymously. It's $5. Kill your ass. You know, it's, and that, that was an episode of Kirby enthusiasm too, where Larry and, and uh, Ted Danson both contribute to start some wing, some art center. And like Larry gets, you know, this, this wing contributed by Larry Davis. Ted Danson goes anonymous. And Larry's all furious, like that's dishonest philanthropy, and like he's telling everybody it's him anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's like yeah, so that's like triple vein. Rather than putting your name on it, you don't put your name on it, and then tell everybody what a good thing you did. There's some uh, great. I'm going to reveal myself as uh, being the jujitive that I am. Uh, You you can run, but you can't hide. But (laughs) I I mean, I actually didn't hear this from a Jew. But uh, there's some I think Jewish parable about. I'm going to paraphrase this, but there's these guys that go into the synagogue and uh, one bows before God. He's like a doctor or something and bows before God and just like, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm nothing before you, God. Uh, I, 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 I bow and, and devote myself to you. And then uh, some other rich banker or something comes in, does the same thing. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. Um, and then there's this guy comes in off the streets. It's all disheveled. It's a bum. And, uh, essentially gives the same spiel. Uh, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. And then the, uh, the, <laughs> the banker and the doctor whisper to each other, who's this guy over here who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so Jewish. There's uh, one joke. I mean, yeah, in, in many ways it's weird. Like you read Hitler, you read Hitler, you read Kevin McDonald. There's, there's a lot of admiration for Jews and things they say. Uh, when I, you can find it somewhere. I think it's still on my website. If you look up his Kampf, coming to terms with my inner Hitler, I write about like reading Mein Kampf. 
maybe I'm, I'm losing my track here. What, what my point was about this Hitler, you're, you're rever- you, how much you love the Jews, absolute reverence. And I mean, he yeah, a lot of things he said was complimentary. It's like they use their brilliance and like their, vir- he said their virtuosity at lying. Um, how much, how much money have you anonymously gave to Israel <laughs> <laughs> through my, through my taxes? Who the fuck knows? That's the thing. I think that's the thing that kind of radicalized me actually it was when I, uh, I first started making money freelancing. The redneck uh, advance that I got in 1996 was $62,000. And I came in, a, I, I think they took out 15% from my fucking agent who got like 15,000 bucks just for taking a cab ride with me. And, uh, but you know, so I get this chunk of money and spend it. And then, you know, a year later, it's like, uh, you owe us $15,000. I'm like, why? Oh, oh, tax. Oh, because FDR came up with withholding tax, which is genius. Because you never touch the money, so you don't miss it. When they try to take your money back, it's like, what the fuck are you getting this money for? And you start asking questions. It's like, I didn't endorse this war. I don't want to pay the Federal Reserve a quarter trillion dollars every year for printing useless money. I don't want to put up Shaquiqua Jenkins as my councilwoman for a $175,000 pension for the rest. of I didn't choose any of this. And you realize you have no fucking choice in it. It's like, well, that kind of radicalized me against big government because I saw what the government did to me. When I got arrested, I, I was naive. I'm like, all right, well, they'll, they'll hear both stories. They'll see all these death threats. They'll realize I had a restraining order against her. But I remember one of the first days I was in, like they keep, I noticed they keep moving you around from jail to jail. And I asked my cellmate, why? He's like, they make money. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, the feds give them a hundred bucks every time they move somebody. I'm like, oh, it's a business. I'm being kept here to make money for people. And you you know, when you realize there's a CIA and FBI, you're paying them to fucking spy on you. It's like, yeah, fuck the government. And one of the, like, psychologically, it's like doing your taxes. Like, fuck you. Like, figure it out. Figure it out yourself. One of the most psychologically damaging things about being in county jail was the way it was set up. They weren't cell bars. with these really heavy wooden doors. And you'd have your hour walk time down in the dorm. And then you'd have to go back up to 4, 4B. And the, uh, the CEO down there, he'd press a thing. You'd have to, electronically, the door would open. Then you'd have to close the door on yourself. That did something to you psychologically. But that's what, like, doing your own taxes is. It's like, what do I owe you and why? I didn't, pay, you know, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion, I think, voting is just riot insurance. And that's one of the, when, you know, the, going way back to the shit about boomers. You don't get what you vote for. Did any of the people who voted for Trump get anything that they wanted? And are you working from January 1st to at this point on average, you, pr- you work from like January 1st to April 20th, 25th. It's called tax freedom day. And it differs, you know, from state to state, depending on their state taxes. But you work first third of the year just for these cocksuckers and they spend your money. However, who the hell would be pro-government? You know, that's one of the things that radicalized me against leftism and big government. It's like, fuck you. And I saw, like, when when they were presented with the facts of my case, they didn't care. They needed a bed to fill. And, yeah, they did. I mean, he, he eventually, they wanted to give me 25 years, and I had no record. But when we started presenting him tapes of where she's bragging about getting away with violent crimes and the, how she's jerking off to the fact that Debbie's dying of cancer... And that when she smashed a woman in the head with an axe handle and posed for pictures of it with her bloody dress proudly in downtown Portland, that's really not a crime because there's no charges and it doesn't exist. When the DA saw all this shit, he had to give me a plea bargain, which I took. (laughs) 
you know, but a good, it's about good and justice. And I'm supposed to feel bad for finally hitting back somebody who's fucking vile enough to gloat about masturbating, about a cancer patient dying and leave dozens of death threats. And no, none of it's a crime because I'm not being charged. And I'm supposed to feel bad. Fuck you. I have a spine, you know, and I, and it's very self-serving, but I think that's where a lot of the hate comes from. I remind a lot of these people about how much they've surrendered without ever having to have handcuffs on them. You know, where it's just, oh, we don't like you. Okay, I'll do whatever you want. I think that's the way most people are. And it's like, well, if that's the way societies work, what's wrong with being a sociopath? When you see how how people act in groups, which is always worse than how they act as individuals, I don't think there's anything great about society. That's why I'm not right. I'm not uplifting these people suck. I'm just here. Where are you, where are you lying? Here, here's where your lie is. And that's why the minute this, this shit started in the dissident, oh, you know, degeneracy and, and traditional Christian value is a fuck you. No wrong you took you took a wrong would you say that uh hatred is an emotion that is necessary for human survival yeah yeah that's i mean i think that's where the concept of evil come from it's from a i mean you shouldn't just float along not thinking there are threats to your existence but i think i think that that's where the con it's a byproduct of realizing there are things that can snuff you out i think you know most people's morality comes from I'm good and I need to survive. That's hardwired into things, you know, except for the few like clinical masochists. Everyone thinks that when you're justified in it, I mean, I'm wondering if you would ever describe yourself as even feeling happy when you hate. (laughs) I think if I can make myself laugh over it, it's just, just pondering like, but I do get caught in loops too. Like, um, the girl I went to the joint over insisted and probably still insisted. She, she mysteriously disappeared about 10 years ago, which is mysterious because this was the biggest attention whore in the world. And in, the, in a world of Facebook and Twitter, like she'd be on there every day a million times. So I don't even know what the fuck happened to her. But as I mean, uh, but I think what let me down was she wasn't, I guess, as pure as I am in the sense like she she seemed in touch. Yeah, I'm going to fuck this person up and, you know, just because they're going against me, which is the way I look at it. But she blinked. And oh, well, you know, oh, I can hit you and hit you. Oh, and you beat the shit. He's evil. It's like, okay, I win. (laughs) You're weak. You're weak. You're one of them. You're not because that's on one of these jimgo.net slash sound slash an mp3. There's one point she's like, fuck you all. I'm a I'm a bigger sociopath. Well, not sociopath. I'm a bigger mis- misanthrope than any of you. I hate you all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no, you're not. The minute you get scared, you run into the crowd and point fingers. Fuck you. Hey, winner. How the fuck does it feel to come out on top, you motherfucker? Where the fuck, when the, where the fuck are you going to serve me with their string or at? Because... You know, you don't really need to fuck with me anymore. I'll be willing to meet the police officer or whatever, but please do not show up at my house with a police officer. <sighs> I can't believe this. You know, are you happy you're going to date like a supermodel after this? You're just going to forget all about me. And I don't really want to be just another notch in your fucking belt of, you know, Duran, Debbie, me, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I hate that fucking line when people tell me. There's a lot that I like about you, but don't ever fucking just tell me to fuck off. Don't ever fucking do that. It's so fucking condescending. sending. I hate this world, and I'm fucking, ugh. Oh, I hope things work out for you. Oh, uh, you're just a lost, troubled soul. Fuck you all. I'm more of a misanthropist than any of you. You're all fucking liars, you fuckhead. I am such a masochist. I really want to go to jail. So please hand this tape in over to the police. Tell them I'm calling you. I'm violating the restraining order. It's 10, 15 p.m., and I really, really, really need to go to jail. 
So have them over here as soon as possible because I'm ready to go back because I have nothing to do on the outside. So if you could do that for me, love of my fucking life, I would really appreciate it. I really want to go back there. And that way you can just fuck your brains out and have no problem, you know, with what's going on. Even though I'm working on your goddamn birthday present right now, I can't stay away from you. I'm going to have to be behind bars. So go ahead and do what you will, Jim Goad. I, I, I mean, it's it's clear that you're, you're still you know, somewhat hell bent on, on revenge. And it's like some, some scenarios where I do kind of like cringe a little bit, like, uh, you know, responding to some thing on YouTube. It's just like, ah, oh, Jim, you're better than these people. Like you don't, you don't need to like engage with that. It's it's a tough uh, um, tightrope to walk because if you do leave some things unaddressed, they become true to people. And I think I know who you refer. I think I know who you're referring to. This is a guy going on, well, currently he's going off, oh, he abandoned his autistic son to fuck trashy whores. This is a guy who couldn't get laid to save his life. But it's like, I've got my ex-wife saying, uh, Shannon, do you think I abandoned my son? No. Have I paid child support? No. Do we all have a good relationship? Yeah. Did we agree to get divorced? Yeah. Did I ever hit you? No. These are all things that are being alleged about you. I'd really like to see anybody, oh, you know, leave it alone. I'd like to see how much restraint most people would have. You know, especially when it's your fucking kid, you know, by somebody, somebody who's treat, preaching traditionalism, but like will never be married. No one will ever fall in love with them. It's like, fuck you. Like bring my kid into it. And yeah. Okay. Sure. You know, sometimes it needs to be a dry and there is satisfaction in it. I mean, the, the stalker that I'm talking about now, uh, I got involved cause I, I debated him. He did. He was a fan for years, but like a lot of stalkers, they make, uh, They'll wrap an insult in a compliment. He started a review of Ship Magnet saying, uh, Jim Goat is a man I admire but desperately don't want to become. It's like, fuck you. Look at you. I could, I could go through 100 million reincarnations as worms and bacteria and still not want to be you. Like, for fuck's sake. But we got into this whole thing and like his, his somebody he accused of being an ex-girlfriend. And if you saw this guy, that's an accusation. <laughs> And uh, bragged about rape, bragged about raping. I mean, you tell me legally if someone's screaming, no, uh, don't do this and screaming in pain. And when you say you're not enjoying that and they scream, no, and you keep going, that's rape, right? Yeah. I mean, technically. Yeah. All right. And so I was interviewing this girl about like, well, you know, what do you know about him? She told me some, some, some things about him. And um, th- this could only happen in Goadville. A few hours later in the middle of the night, I get this text. She's like, I was just raped. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, it's like, I don't want to call the cops. I think he lives in my building. They'll kill me. I'm like, they're not being nice now. Call the cops. And she called the cops and uh, went and they got a, you know, scraped her vagina for DNA. And uh, she had to flee Chicago, came to stay with me for a while, then moved out to LA. And this jilt. And so I brought up like, I'm like, this is weird. Do you want me to discuss any of this in this debate I'm going to have with this guy? And she said, yeah, of course. Like, all right. So uh, my whole point was in the, in this debate we were going to have, because he's talking against degeneracy, but here he is on an article only four years ago. And at the time was only three years prior bragging about puking, being so drunk, he was puking all over her cat's and then uh, he's fucking her in the ass. She's screaming in pain. And he keeps thrusting. And now, three years later, he's metamorphosed. He's screaming about degeneracy. And my whole point was, you're a fucking... But my point was, well, 
should I bring up you were raped? Okay, well, I think that's kind of a good test because if he's posing as this compassionate man of morality, if he hears this, he was close to you or claims to be close to you in the past. Let's see how he reacts. So, and with no intention of bringing any of this up or, ra- or raping her <laughs> or like naming her <laughs> or naming her, no intention of raping her. I didn't have to, unlike him. But I bring up, I'm like, well, here's what a girl that you used to know said about you. And I didn't get a half line. And she's like, oh, that's Anne. And she's fucking a lunatic. And she's an alcoholic. And she's a bisexual. Le-. I'm like, really, man? She was raped the other night. He's like, bullshit. She was not. She's a fucking liar. Bring her on. Bring her on. So I text her. I'm like, uh, do you want to come on? She's like, okay. And you, you can see this. It's not hard to find this two hour live stream. She obviously looks like someone who was just raped. She, she looks a mess. She looks traumatized. And he's just screaming the whole time about who liked who more and all this high school bullshit. And then two days later, he does a two minute video saying, I don't know why they tried to smear me. And it's like, how are we trying to smear you by saying she was raped? But, you know, she's obviously lying and this is all I'm ever going to say about it. And then for a solid year, he did, I'm going to lowball, at least six dozen live streams claiming she was lying about being raped. Guy who claimed to have raped her and then tried to delete the article, but it's on, it's on uh, the Wayback Machine. Well, and then I, I argued with these other guys and they made a bet. And I bet the guy, my house against his mom's house, that she was raped. And, uh, oh, why were the, you're lying? Where are the results? Well, this is fucking Illinois. It's a democratic state. Takes forever. The results are back. She was raped. They've got the DNA. The guy has a long record. She picked him out of a fucking lineup. And yeah, I get sa- emotional satisfaction. No, you're going to call me a fucking liar. That's the last the dumbest thing you can fucking do. Cause that's one thing I'm not. And yeah, this guy spent a year insisting she was lying for, for what reason? Yeah. There is some there's some emotional satisfaction. It's like, yeah, call me. Yeah, you're the liar, and I'm the one living in reality. And yeah, there's tremendous like glee, which which that plays counter to, uh, you know, I guess uh, people who would assume things because the answer me rape issue. You know, just people that don't. I even said, cl- I said clearly think about in that anything. issue that I, I said in that issue very clear. Like I said in the suicide issue, <laughs> in the suicide issue in the intro to the the section where I cover 100 suicides. I said it's life one of life's cruel ironies that like you know people it's only the non-suicidal who should kill themselves because they just go around you know driving their little cars farting and eating fast food and like suicidal people at least have some kind of insight into how futile and unfair life is those are the people who should stay alive and then three kids killed themselves and I got blamed for it anyway I said in the rape issue quite clearly in the intro to that big rape world section I've never raped anyone I can't I've never fantasized about it. I don't even understand how somebody's capable of that. Personally, me, physiologically, if someone's saying no, it's like, I couldn't get a heart on. No fucking way. I, it's alien to me. It's not like, oh, that's evil. It's like, I just, I don't understand it cognitively. Oh, that's, but that's a pro-rape magazine. I'm like, really? What, what are you getting out of this? I mean, <clears throat> yeah. There's... Right. It's like uh, Camille Paglia has that famous, they've been going after her for years for this this piece where the, the, the beginning, she just clearly states people easily overlook it each time. But it's like uh, rape in the modern world or the civilized world is a complete out- outrage and should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. That, then she goes on, you know, uh, saying things about how uh, they risk by by going against parietal 
rule at the time in the in the colleges uh curfews having to have the girls in bed by 11 while the boys could stay out all night she was saying well we we'd rather uh be able to have the same rights and we'll risk rape for this to occur um and and maybe maybe you shouldn't go to now that you have this responsibility because you have this right that comes along with it uh, maybe you shouldn't go to the frat party and get blackout drunk. That's not a, you, you got to think about that now. That's not a good idea. That's and then suddenly blaming. everyone says, you, yeah, you're victim blaming and you're condoning rape. It's like, yeah, you can't win. Well, what people. I said in the, in the rape issue, which is probably better advice than most of these moron feminists give is like, well, <laughs> imagine if women had been born with giant scorpion like tails that could disable anyone with a sting. You don't think they'd be abusing people with that power? You know, so why is rape happen? Well, the answer is obvious. Men are physically stronger. They're able to hold them down. All right, then approach it that way. How do you, you solve that gap? Get a fucking gun. Take karate. Actually address what enables them to happen and close that gap. Don't go on a fucking candlelight vigil. Don't ban pornography. It's actually better advice to avoid getting raped than any of these these girls were. But that was, oh, you know, there's this one art. You know, there were narratives in that. They were done from the point of view of the rapist, from the victim. But people people didn't mention, they said it was pro-rape. They didn't mention any of the ones from the narrative from the point of view of the victim. It's like, they, they find what they fucking want. And yeah, that's, I mean, I will debate anybody. But I kind of have to get a sense of this. Is this somebody honorable or like halfway intelligent who's going to want to actually admit they might be wrong? Because I am. Always am. I mean, I, like I said, I believed in Santa Claus. I believed in Jesus. I believed in equality. I was wrong. Most people go their whole lives never, never once saying they're wrong. It's like uh, also in the, you know, in the rape issue, you you have two great pieces by Adam Parfrey and like uh, Peter Sotos. Um, both both fucking incredible. And I, I wish Adam Parfrey was still around so I could get him on and get a chance to actually talk to that guy yeah well what do i say about that i've been mostly silent he died like a year and a half ago um i met adam when i was still kind of a wigger when i done answer me number one and i was over at nick bugas's place getting pictures of anton levey and adam showed up and he had this real mischievous look and he had this little concealable handheld camera that he had just bought and he was gloating about interviewing Irv Rubin at Musso and Frank's Irv Rubin of the Jewish Defense League was this big fucking meathead thug who would beat up and threaten anybody who uh, he thought he was a Nazi even if it's a Jewish Holocaust revisionist but uh, and I remember I had heard of Adam like where I worked at the uh, <clears throat> at the LA Reader somebody said he's a fascist there's this guy in town Adam Parfrey he's a fascist and so when I met him I'm like oh they say you're a fascist and he's smiling he's like as long as they're talking I don't care <laughs> And Adam just, he was a brilliant guy. He had a wicked sense of humor. The, he did some of these pranks. Oh my God, I was fooled by it. In the LA Reader, late 90s, early, late 80s, early 90s at the latest, there was this cover story, the Blue Boys. And there's a picture of two guys with like umpire masks and umpire, like whatever those things they wear to protect themselves from being hit by the ball. Uh, I'm cape, I don't know what you would call that. But and the story was these homophobic Nazis who would listen to white power music and they lived out in the San Fernando Valley. And then on weekends, they'd come in with baseball bats and kick the shit out of gay people along Melrose in, in West Hollywood. And like, I remember like there were letters to the editor. Yes, I've been victimized by the blue boys. I remember the girl who called him a fascist. She She's like, we you know we need to do a follow up article and these blue boys. And those two guys on the cover were Adam Parfrey and Larry Wessel. He just pranked 
<laughs> yeah, Larry Wessel, filmmaker Larry Wessel. But um, Adam was also always kind of passive aggressive and cunty. And uh, if you have a copy of Ship Magnet, you'll notice there's a note on the last page saying, well, right before we went to press, Mr. Goat objected to two of the books we were going to put in here. Rather than bruise his delicate feelings, we just want to say, if you need a list of our books, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. I'm thinking, what a fucking cunty bitchy slap in the face this was because especially when i was in prison he would be complaining to me oh i got this manuscript from jim redden and it's poorly researched i have to fucking go back and do the research rewrite the book so i figured all right you know you helped me out in prison you took my collect calls i'm going to deliver you a book laid out you don't all you have to do is press send to the printer at least spare you that heartache and so he repays me this way but then he he had a falling out with Nick Bugus and everything else. But like around the time I met Adam, then he moved up to he moved up to Portland and he got into some uh, accident where he was thrown through the uh, the front window of his truck and uh, had brain damage, like water in the brain as a result of it. And he became addicted to heroin when he was up in Portland. And um, fuck this. And then this is in the book too. Don't uh, I don't mention it by name in the chapter, but it's called "Don't Fuck with the Masons." The creepiest things. It's just like it's Goadville. Like, okay, Anne's telling me about this guy claiming to rape her. Then she actually gets raped hours later. Same thing. This is the story. It was January, January, July 4th, 1996. I'm on the phone with, I'm in Portland. Michael A. Hoffman II is in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I'm talking to him. He was an expert on white slavery and white indentured servitude. That's why I was talking to him. He was also a researcher on Masons and Masonic conspiracies. It came up that Adam had uh, <clears throat> posed in some satirical San Francisco newspaper called The Nose in a Knights of Pythias costume. And I guess there's some adjunct of the Masons. And all of a sudden, Hoffman got very solemn. He's like, Adam never should have done that. You do not mock the Masons. They will strike him. It will be on a day with heavy political significance. It will be swift. It will be final. And I'm nodding along, being polite, thinking you're out of your fucking mind. Six hours later, July 4th. Okay. In America, that's about the day with the heaviest political significance you're going to find. Adam was buying firecrackers in Vancouver, Washington, across the river, Columbia River from Portland, not Vancouver, BC, Vancouver, Washington, inexplicably fell to the ground, cracked his head on the ground, took a bunch of people to restrain him, was taken off to some mental health place, put in a paper gown, was like in prison there for six weeks. And I said, yeah, maybe you don't fuck with the Masons. But Adam was, he was one of these people. Like he told me, he's like, uh, you know, I, I'm, yeah, okay, I hang out with Nazis, but here's the thing. I grew up in a Jewish uh, household and I saw how they talked about non-Jews. So it always struck me as rancidly hypocritical when they would scream about racism. And he brought up one, you know who Adam Parfrey said his biggest inspiration what got him into book publishing was? Tom Metzger. Wow. wow. Of the White Aryan Resistance. He said Tom was just fearless and he admired that. And David Cole and Tacky's just did an article about this a couple of weeks ago that that feral house. Now, Adam died over a year ago. They're, they're like, we're looking for new writers, but women of color and LGBTQ and, you know, silenced everything that Adam did not publish. Like, cause I mean, it's been generations since those voices were silent, no matter how crappy those voices are, they get amplified, you know, but, um, we had kind of, you know, he was kind of a, I introduced, it's weird. I introduced him to maybe two dozen people over the years, Nick Bugis to maybe two dozen people, and Peter Sotos to two dozen people, all have horrible reputations as sinister people. Everyone, everyone, everyone loved Nick and Peter. Peter, the, you know, whatever, predator, whatever the fuck you would think that guy is. This guy's a fucking sweetheart. Nobody liked Adam. 
Okay, I'm not the only one. Did Adam introduce you to LeVay? No, I, I contacted LeVay and then I was introduced to Nick by LeVay to get pictures of him. But um, toward the end of his life, I've, I've heard different rumors. Adam died at 61. He had this premonition. He was, his father died at 61. He had a premonition he was going to die. But <clears throat> on Facebook and stuff, he started screaming about Trump. He started screaming about uh, there, there were some floods in Texas a couple of years ago. And okay, well, don't deny them federal aid because they're not, they hate socialism in the government. And it's like, I understand how someone can change their opinions, but you don't, this was a complete personality change. This was a easily offended, morally hysterical Adam that I'd never seen before. It just struck me as weird. That wasn't gradual. That, that was- it was great, but it became, it became cemented like in the first couple of years of Trump's term. Yeah. Well, that caused a der- derangement for a lot of people. Well, according to a biographer, like who, who was doing a biography on him. He was living with Adam when Adam died. He just heard the scream one day and Adam fell down the stairs like this ungodly scream. And he, I think he had a hemorrhage or a stroke and he eventually died of it. But what some of us think, and I could be wrong. And I, you know, it's like, do you say these things about the dead? I think it's better to say about them when they're dead because they can't be hurt, you know, than, than when they're alive. My suspicion and the suspicion of some other people is that the brain damage and the gradual decline cause this personality because that was a different person adam would have laughed no matter whether he liked trump or not he would have laughed at somebody who was that morally hysterical it was like it'd become a different yeah a total prankster somebody who never suspended a sense of humor yeah to, to somebody who just had no sense of humor about something so it's just i don't know maybe he had a change of heart i don't know but yeah we didn't talk for the last couple of years and he i think he publicly said he he regretted uh publishing ship magnet because it wasn't a good book Meanwhile, they're putting out lesbian cookbooks now and everything, so to, to each their own. But yeah, I mean, it was sad because he had changed uh, totally, and it was like, wow, because he, he was such a bright guy, but who knows, like this gradual, the, the truck accident, whatever happened to him where he had that seizure that, where he was hospitalized, suggests that this rapid personality shift might have had something to do with an uh, organic brain problem. And that, that's where I come from, too. It's like, uh, I didn't find out until two decades after I got out of prison. Well, I, I had a brain tumor that I had removed in 2008 and it had been growing 15 to 20 years. If I had known that, when I got arrested, I could have gotten out of jail. That's a mitigating circumstance. It was, it was pressing in against the aggression center in my brain. But you didn't, uh, you didn't go to a clock tower and shoot everybody up. Right, like Charles Whitman. He suspected there was something wrong with his brain and they did an autopsy. And yeah, there was a golf ball-sized tumor pressing in against his aggression center. So I think, I mean... That's why, oh, evil, shut up. What, you know, what is it in their neurology that makes them do this? I'd, I'd like to have a completely amoral approach to things. Because like I said, if you're going to get ethics, they're going to come from the truth. People, you know, people with brain damage, you know, I've, I've written about serial killers and so many of them. Oh, he was hit in the head with a wooden swing when he was four that knocked him out in hospital. Every fucking one of them. No, 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 they just got up one day and decided to be evil. Oh, bullshit. They want an easy, tidy, moral narrative, and it's never yeah, it's easy it's like people watch, watch too many movies, you know? It's like, they, they, oh, let's point to a single trauma or cause for all of this person's behaviors and under, underlying thinking. It's like, it's not that I, easy. I'd like science, and I think, you know, one day we'll realize how barbaric we've been with these primitive moralistic notions. No, that if that person hadn't been hit in the head with a swing... And when they were six or four, they never would have become a killer. They had brain damage. You know, that's how people with brain damage react. Uh, who knows? But I mean, and that's my theory for how, Adam, or maybe Adam just decided to become this humorless church lady. 
I think it's a more humane uh, to say that something happened to his brain. It, it, that's what killed him. On it the subject of like Adam Parfrey and his pranks, uh, what you, you seem like the type of guy who would do like some really good pranks. Is there like a particular prank that you've done that you're like really proud of? The golden one easily is the chocolate impulse prank and answer me. Do you know about this? It's the last article in the last answer me uh, in, in the rape issue. Uh, I noticed this thing that you, you know what crab in a bucket syndrome is. No, there's a tendency, I guess you have a bunch of crabs in a wooden bucket, live ones, and one tries to crawl out. The other ones will drag it down, not let them escape the bucket. But when I started doing answer me, I didn't even know what a zine was. I considered it a magazine. The only difference was we didn't take ads. I mean, I took it to newsstands and everything. I didn't even know about zines, but we got roped into this world where, I mean, and this was a different world. Like I said, you could disagree, but fact sheet five, the Bible zines, like this is the greatest zine in the history of the world. As far as like international, national press mentions, we got mentioned more than anybody else. This huge thing. And for the first couple issues, everyone was like, my God, you guys are geniuses, you know. But then we started getting more popular. Oh, he's he's talentless. He's just a fucking hateful bastard. And anyone can write this garbage, you know. And so I decided, and it was the same people that were praising us, you know, until we got really big. So the prank that I set up was I had a friend, J. Keith Lane, L-A-Y-N-E, in uh, Freeburn, Kentucky. And that's Hatfield McCoy country. You go there and you're on the Kentucky side. It's like Hatfield, you know, McCoy Chevrolet, you know, McCoy Burgers. And you cross over the Tug River into West Virginia. It's Hatfield <laughs> Laundry. But this horrible little hollow he lived in with his grandmother. And great story. Like they lived in this trailer right near the Tug River. And his grandmother was complaining about there's some guy across the river who fucks dogs at night. <laughs> and she wasn't upset that he fucks dogs, but that it was keeping her awake. <laughs> and uh, But we got J. Keith Lane to take out a post office in Kentucky. And I got the addresses of the zinesters who turned on us and criticized. And maybe this is psychotic. I don't know. But, I mean, it, it just seemed disingenuous in uh, the way they switched. And it didn't seem to have much. We hadn't changed our tone. It's just we got popular. So what I did was uh, Debbie had done some really bad poetry in, in college. And uh, we cobbled together this little shitty zine called Chocolate Impulse, 32 pages, with, you know, the kind of graphics they had back then. They just take fruit ads from the newspaper and put it next to Don't Rape Us. And just, I made it as shitty as I could possibly fucking make. Also, we got squid. We bought raw squid at the supermarket and rubbed it on each copy and claimed that we, the premise was we were interracial lesbians in Kentucky <laughs> and that we, uh, we stink wrapped each one. We rubbed our vaginas on each one. So I got squid and put them on. <laughs> But what the little the little bomb that we put inside this zine was? We did an anti answer me rant uh-huh. about how they're just hateful, you know. And we're two lesbians being persecuted by the rest. So of course everyone bought that because <laughs> that happens all the time. Right. And I had Jay Keith send them out from his PO box in Kentucky, so it was stamped from Kentucky. And across the board, everyone, oh these talents, you guys are geniuses. <laughs> This is the best written, like, and you really socked it to those talentless <laughs> losers. And in answer me number four, I revealed the prank. And that's that's my proudest prank. There was one that kind of half backfired. but That's was, a great exercise yeah. to be able to, like, well, the, you know, arguing your the opposite position or criticizing yourself is, like, the hardest thing to do. But yeah. it's, it's worth, yeah. worth doing. I had an employer who gave me, like, one of the best compliments I ever had because it was when this uh, this whole controversy over a trans article He's like, you know, Jim, 
because they em- employed the tranny too. And he's like, here's the thing. You could write a defense of trannies better than they could. You're that good of a writer. It's like, wow, thanks. <laughs> but the other prank I did, which kind of had backfired, was a couple of years ago. I had sleep apnea and uh, I'd never had my tonsils out. And so they basically removed everything behind my face except my brain. Like I had this mm-hmm. palate lift and my, my septum was, deviated septum was fixed and, my, and uh, tonsils taken out. And I thought it'd be fun to see what would happen because I'm all bruised up, black eyes, bloody nose, me in a hospital gown. I took a picture of it and I put it on Twitter saying, you know, it's a really fucked up world where you can't even say what you believe without getting beaten up. That's all I said. And I guess, you know, it was structurally a little flawed compared to this chocolate impulse post office thing, because everyone this message would get out to initially were my followers. And they're like, oh, my God, are you OK? And like suddenly I'm like, oh, shit, I'm like I didn't, I didn't mean to deceive these people. I wanted to deceive the Antifa type. So it's gloat about it and just unmask them as like, you're a sadistic motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm posing like, no, it was, you know, sleep apnea surgery. Psych. Fuck you. But I mean, I did get people gloating about it. So it was partially successful. The thing I felt bad about was people who cared about me were fooled and I didn't mean to fool them, but that's kind of more difficult to fool people. Uh, You'd have to plan it differently. I think the tactic, technically, maybe I'll start some rumors about myself or something, something fun like that. (laughs) But yeah, that was like a partially, partially successful, partially failed prank. But the golden one was chocolate impulse where these, uh, these lesbian, (laughs) Adorable lesbian gorillas from uh, Kentucky hated us, and they were seen as so talented and righteous. And because you know, you you play into their. That's the good thing about a prank. You unmask. You you realize how these people think, and you can fool them based on that knowledge. Speaking of uh, adorable lesbian gorillas, uh, <laughs> if you, if, you can look if up you that phrase and, online. That's an article. Uh, if you could go back in time and have sex with any famous woman during her prime, who uh, would it be? This is one of these questions I'm involved. I don't do that. When I get involved with a girl and I fucking like her, I would consider it rude for her to find anyone else hot. So I, this, that's the type of question I can't answer. Oh, yeah, that's a minefield. I, and she, this, 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 this one, yeah, this, there's no good way out of that. This girl that I'm with now is fucking by light years the most gorgeous girl I've ever been with and best in, as far as character. And I just keep pinching myself. I'm like, this isn't real. This isn't happening because every one of them in the past was, you know, volatile or didn't have a job or, you know, and those they because they were damaged in a way, I guess that, you know, you your figure, savior complex got the got the best. It's, of you. It's, I'm not sure if it's that as much as well. They had, there's a lot of shit about me. They're going to have to get past. So I'll show the same kind of tolerance I'm demanding, you know, but I didn't realize you didn't have to do that. This girl just came out of nowhere at a time when I was really fucking low. And she's like, we're not that, you know, half a year. She's been living with me since, you know, the beginning of the summer, not even a tiny scuffle. So I'm not going to do anything to fuck that up. <laughs> I would, I wouldn't want her saying, well, you know, sure. Uh, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. go." <laughs> Pussy whipped at last. Yeah, pussy whipped at last. But I've always, been, I've always been that way. It's like when I'm with somebody, I do everything to not make them jealous. Or it's only when it falls apart and it doesn't matter anymore that I'll, I'll look around. Or I mean, fuck that. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> in sports. What was it when Colin Kaepernick was actually an okay quarterback? He took it to the Super Bowl, and I think they got to the one yard line and then lost. That guy almost won the Super Bowl, but will be a loser. Because he, he got it on, I was married 11 years and didn't cheat until the last year. But you don't get any credit for those 10 years. You're a cheater. So 
All right. I mean, it takes you know, with with somebody as miserable as Debbie, it takes takes some stamina. I didn't. Not to I cheat. didn't uh, eat human flesh for my entire life, and then that last day, <laughs> I took one bite. <laughs> now I'm a cannibal forever. Well, that's that reminds me. There was a there was a guy in county jail we called the bomber. He's like, you know, like, they were holding him on like bombing charges. Like, I don't know what they're pissed off at. I didn't kill anybody in ten years. <laughs> Congratulations. It was just a little mistake. But that's one thing about me. Give that guy a good guy badge. Right. And it's not to be a good guy or anything, but I, one thing that, uh, it was like what Chuck Palahniuk said about like, you know, you read this and he might have more heart than us. There was, I think maybe my favorite thing ever written about me was, uh, it was a cover story in the New York press called Jim Goat is a bad man. That was the title. Oh, I was reading this earlier. Yeah. John Straussbaugh. And, uh, it starts off, you know, Jim Goat calls me, he's in town. He knows I want to talk, you know, and, and I keep having to put him off. It's like one trauma after the next. I keep having to put him off. But despite his reputation as a hothead, he's like a model of forbearance and very polite. And after a while, it occurred to me, despite what his reputation is, despite what the state of Oregon, his ex-wife, his girlfriend say, he has a system of ethics. He sticks to them more faithfully than you or I do. And if you argued him about him, he'd kick your ass, figuratively at least. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. I, don't, I mean, I... I, I play into the idea of evil because i think the idea of evil is stupid you know just to maybe joke yeah oh sure yeah i'm, I'm satan yeah oh no love satan no we we yeah we me and satan we we have a hot tub and bring black girls in and you know because it's so ridiculous it reminds me of uh, in prison uh they'd have this little scared straight group come through like once a month oh, yeah. these teenagers mm-hmm. who'd been arrested for shoplifting and you know, oh you got to do that didn't do anything but leave our we didn't even leave our cells but prison was the most quiet respectful place i've ever fucking been as much but it makes sense when you think about it like it's bad enough being in a box anybody who's going to cause drama is going to get wiped out immediately like people just don't they don't get on each other's nerves you respect like people are more respectful there than anywhere but um they would bring these groups and we'd act like animals just just to play it up but just you're going to think this about enemy me anyway fuck you and i think that's that's kind of maybe that's my damage if people are not going to give me the benefit of the doubt, then they'll get the bad side because there's no point. I don't need to prove anything. Fuck you anyway. But anyone who's ever given me a job or rented to me, like they never regret it. It's like, cause that's, I, I'm not given the benefit of the doubt. So I, I make sure not to blow that. So again, this girl is fucking top class. She's like, when I first, she's from New Orleans, grew up in New Orleans her entire life, never lived anywhere else. I think probably a month into it, she uprooted herself quit her job, came here, got a job, moved everything, moved in with me and has been nothing but a fucking. And, but when I first flew down to see her in new Orleans, I'd seen the pictures. I'm like, you got to fucking be kidding me. Like, but when I saw her waiting for me at the gate at the airport, first thing that struck me is like, okay, which was it Mick Jagger or Keith Richards who dated this girl? And like, she looked like one of these Guatemalan supermodels. The stones would have fucking banged in the seventies but doesn't see it. And, and she's not being, she's not fishing for, she doesn't fucking see it. Like we were walking through the neighborhood the other night and this old couple who has this belligerent five pound chihuahua. It's like, Hey, come here. I just want to tell you, your girlfriend is beautiful. I'm like, can you tell her that? Cause she doesn't believe it. I'm like, come here, honey. And she's like, darling, you are fucking gorgeous. She's like me. Really? It's like, wow. She's, she's not fishing for compliments, but she's not, an arrogant asshole about it either. It's like, yeah, okay, sign me up. So yeah, I can't, 
there are plenty of women I bang, plenty I've wanted to bang, but that's, yeah, you can ask me about Hitler, but I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, and maybe half of my half of my modern audience will flee just at this announcement. I don't care because it's never what I've been about. I was banging black chicks in the 80s when nobody was. But she's half, Ita- half Italian. The rest on her mom's side is uh, like Castilian, Spanish, Guatemalan, and black. And she looks not the stone. She looks like somebody Prince would have dated, you know. But she, New Orleans. I say she's from New Orleans. New Orleans is sixty percent black. She grew up in Metairie, Louisiana, which is where David Duke is from, and went to like. And Metairie is like eight percent black. And in grade school, you're an ugly nigger. What are you? You're some kind of mixed mongrel. Fuck you. You're ugly. Like that's all she heard. Damn. And it's heartbreaking to me. But it's also, and I guess this sounds kind of cynical. It's like I don't want her to hate herself or think she's ugly, but. You also don't want them to realize how fucking gorgeous she is in <laughs> attitude, you know? So this is like the best of all, you know, if I can make her feel good without like turning into her, into like a, a girl who's had people lick her ass her whole life. Yeah, that'd be great. She doesn't have to feel she's ugly and doesn't have to act like a beautiful girl. That's, I mean, I right. can't think of a better situation. Well, yeah, situation. if she only needs and wants to hear it from you, then. No, but good. That's the, the, the second best looking girl I ever dated. It was like five years ago. And this girl from uh, Indiana who had these blue eyes, like, you know, those Walter Keene paintings. Oh yeah. 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 Big eyes. Yeah. Yeah. With the big, you know, I think it was gig who did the big eyed puppies, but Walter Keene is the big eyes, right? Those were her eyes, Yeah, but it was actually his wife or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She did the paintings or whatever, but like this was a girl like, you know, and she was intelligent and had been traumatized. I mean, you, you, I can't bond with anybody, I guess, unless they've been traumatized in a way, because you can't, I, I'm going to sound uh, angry to them. They're going to sound whiny to me. But that girl was malicious too. And, uh, you know, if the, an argument went wrong, she'd say the worst possible fucking thing. And there's uh, there are two chapters about her in, in the new book, uh, Slow Dancing in Wheelchairs and Love Among the Damaged. This new one's better looking than her, but doesn't have any of the, I mean, <laughs> you guys watch Seinfeld at all? Yeah, I love it. Evan actually hates it, which is funny. There's an episode, it's an early one where there's this hot Southern girl with a Southern accent that Jerry's dating and they've been leading up to it. And he's, he's like, you know, they're out in the car making out. And he's like, you want to go upstairs? And, uh, she's like, well, Jerry, I really can't. And he's like, why? And she's like, I got to tell you, I saw your act. He's like, what are you talking about? And she, she's like, it was just so much fluff. So I can change the jokes. It was a bad night. She's like, Jerry, I just can't be with somebody if I don't respect what they do. And he's like, you're a cashier. So this this girl from Indianapolis was like, all your ex-girlfriends are crazy. I'm like, you were institutionalized. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I'm still pinching myself like a half year into it. It's like, there's none of this. I mean, this girl's trauma was that she was a, you know, a mixed race girl in an all white Louisiana school. And that her parents were pretty bad to her. But otherwise, my fucking God, she's noble and she's considerate. The the arguments I get in with this girl from Indianapolis, it's like, well, okay, honey, I've been up all night. Uh, Got to drive back to Georgia. Give me a half hour to sleep. And so what did she think would be a good idea? Well, she'll just open up her laptop and laugh as loud as she can at cat videos. And I remember getting into this argument with her. She's like, oh, you fight with everybody. I'm like, I'm thinking about it. There's people I've known a quarter century I've never fought with. What's the difference? Oh, they're considerate. Like, you wouldn't have to tell me. You tell me you need sleep, I'll go in the other room. You don't need to tell me it's rude to fucking laugh out loud. I would never have to tell my girlfriend, <laughs> like, to go and She would do it. She's, like, hyper considerate. We get along. It's, it's uncharted territory for me. Don't want to jinx it. 
but yeah, I'm not going to say what what girls in the what girls in the past I would bang. What was uh, congratulations? I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> sorry, ladies out there. Do, yeah, do uh, or could you at least say yeah? Do you have a do you have a type or something? Nah, I fucking this this is what's like. I'm a swirling cauldron of contradictions because uh, as much as I'm considered to be a misogynist. Women are much more important to me than men are. I think like any male bonding you do after 14 is homosexual. <laughs> there's that point, you know, I'm, I'm using Joe Biden references here, but there's like, there's that point where you're all 14 and you're in somebody's basement and the, somebody puts on a record and the boys and girls pair off and start making out. That's when you don't need male bonding anymore. My adult life, as far as being in the presence of other human beings, 95% of it's with women. You know, um, I'm obviously, I can handle being unpopular. Doesn't bug me. It's not great really not having much of a family at all. Both parents dead. Don't talk to my brother or sister. I'm divorced. Like, that's not great. Not tortured by it. I had to leave the circumstances where we agreed. We, there was no disputed divorce or anything. Deprive me of female affection. I'll go out of my fucking mind. That's just the way I am. There's nothing that's going to change it. Some people don't understand that. I know guys, good friends that have never been in love, never needed it. I do. I'd rather like pair off with this girl for the rest of my life and not talk to anybody else. Just got to know your strengths and weaknesses and what you need. That's something I fucking need and will always need. And she delivers it in spades. Happens to be the best looking and the one of highest character. So you got to be kidding me. 58 years for this. All right. Fuck you world. But yeah. But in the, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, women, yeah, once, uh, God, I remember like <laughs> the, I lost I well, depending, do you lose your virginity when you stick it in or when you come? I guess stick it in, like maybe, maybe stick it in. Yeah. I'm going to say penetration. Cause when I was, uh, when I was 12 on Easter Sunday, me and Michael Waters took Carol Hill to the woods down behind our, our row homes and both stuck it in, but I was 12. I didn't know what this glistening thing with hair on it was. I just stuck it in and sat there for a half a minute and pulled it out. No thrusting, nothing. If that's losing your virginity, I lost it at 12. Otherwise, I got all weird and Christian and isolated in my teens. I stuck it in and came on uh, my 18th birthday down at the Jersey Shore for senior week after graduating. But I remember I'd gotten blowjobs before that, but I stuck it in a pussy. I'm like, you got to fucking be kidding me. <laughs> okay, now I know what it's like. And I'm I can, I can't come from a blowjob, but like the, the, it doesn't compare to the what a, nothing will feel like a pussy feels like. And I was thinking that the other, that's almost like my religion, just like, God, making a girl happy and getting something from a girl. That's, that's something I can chase the rest of my life and be happy with um, these, these imaginary gods and everything else. Nah. <laughs> this is uh this is completely off the subject of uh, women. This actually goes back to men. Um, Sorry. Uh, did you, uh, how was touring with Hank three? Did you enjoy that? Living hell, <laughs> living, screaming, breathing hell. Cause here's the thing. I mean, it was like a, you know, who George Plimpton was no, he was this journalist, very Yale type, very posh new England style journalist in the sixties. And he would do like performance art things where he, and he was this skinny writer guy. He joined the Detroit lions for four downs and got the shit kicked out of him. He would do these performance things. So, whoops, Hank three contacted me. He said he was a fan of answer me and everything and heard that there was a new anthology. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I heard you're a country singer too. I'm like, well, well I did a, a album of trucker songs in the nineties. And I, I put the CD in. 
he got the CD and invited me to tour with him. It's like a George Plimpton thing. It's like, this this will be a performance on. I'm not a musician, but I'll pretend I'm a musician for a tour. And uh, it was summer of 2007. We did uh, 28 cities in 35 days. And that's a fucking grind. Because a, a typical day, and the band I knew was from Portland. So we met in Memphis for three days to practice in the middle of the fucking, you know, Tennessee, July heat. And then went on tour. And a typical day would be we'd get up after sleeping for two hours on somebody's wooden floor. Get in the unair conditioned van in the hottest parts of the country in the middle of summer. Drive 500 miles. Get there late afternoon. Do our sound check, then sit there for three hours as Hank June Hank the Third's metal band did a sound check, death metal, and okay, okay, forty five minutes of drums. I think the drums are okay. Like you're driven crazy. The only time that was kind of okay was performing, but not great. And then me and my girlfriend at the time, we'd go to the merch table and sell our stuff and the band stuff while the the band went off and got drunk, and we'd have to find them and then find somebody else to put us on their wooden floor the next night and then get up after two hours of sleep and drive 500 miles again. And me and five other guys in the band. So we had to split 350 bucks a night between the six of us, which hardly covered anything. Like you couldn't even break even once you got past gas and food. That's, that's music life. Yeah. For, for a lot of people, that's uh that's really making it. That's doing yeah, it. That's like- but uh, I mean, and the thing is too, like the Hank three, like three quarters of his songs are about getting fucked up. And I haven't had a drink since 82 and the band were all Alkies. It was fun. And, and, and I hesitate to say it because she's the mother of my child. That was one jealous woman. That was one of the problems. Not clear to before the, the tour. I'm like, you're not going to act this way on tour. You're not going on tour. Oh no, no. I realize you're the singer. Girls are going to talk to you. Uh, just don't flirt with them. I have no intention of flirting with them. I mean, you you guys threw that bait out there. I didn't take the bait. I'm not going to say what ex <laughs> movie star would bang. I'm I'm on the up, but like every time a girl would come up to the merch table and have to scream in my ear, "How much is that book?" Because Hank Three's death metal band was playing. She would bolt up and bolt out of the uh, the club, and I'd have to find her in a foreign, you know, a unfamiliar city, just because pathological jealousy. So all those factors, it, it was absolute hell for me. <laughs> I would never do it again. <laughs> But I mean, I'll tell you this, I mean, for people who practice three days and I had no experience, we did a tour, 28 cities and didn't get booed once. Not bad. Pretty good. Was that the same band that cut the album with you? Nah, different band. Uh, the bass player, bass player on the Big Red Goat CD, Phil Irwin, he looked like a member of ZZ Top, but when he was 14, he was the teen US chess champion. <laughs> he was like this biker genius. And it was him. And he cobbled the band together from guys he knew in the Northwest. This guy, Mike Shoopy, who looked like uh, Roy Orbison, played guitar. That album was recorded in like a day with one day of practice. And I think we did pretty good. Not bad. <laughs> like they don't come. Cl- I mean, the only purpose was like to, to hit people. Okay, don't listen to my version. Go and listen to Dave Dudley and Red Sobine and Dick Curlis or some great hilarious macho like hyper macho it's like white hip-hop that trucker music from the 60s well my voice is deeper than his my truck's bigger than yours you know on and on and on 
just to hit people with it. I never had the aspirations to be a serious singer, although I am at this point I'm taking fifty bucks to do uh karaoke on YouTube. Somebody just paid me a hundred bucks to do uh I wanna know what love is by foreigner with a Philly accent. I wanna know what that's, love is. That's <laughs> I wanna know what love is. I know <laughs> you can show. <laughs> yeah, yep. Oh yeah. And I'm probably gonna get because now I've got a green screen because I I finally watched that. You ever seen that video? It's like the guy's in Foreigner, and it's a cold day in some metropolis, and steam rising off the streets, and everyone looks miserable. And then they all get in cabs, and they meet in some music studio, and then all of a sudden, like four thousand smiling black people come in. Oh yeah, and they're singing. I... They're singing, and the foreigners <laughs> hugging all these black people, and and then they do the I want to know, you know, they're screaming their their soulful hearts now. out. So I'm probably going to on the green screen. I'm just going to have like. I'm going to have black church ladies behind me. As I, I want to name <laughs> the black church ladies also singing. The Philly accent. <laughs> That's a weird thing. The Tidewater accent is ne- you'd never hear a black person uh, speaking. I mean, you can go to, you can go Baltimore. Yeah. And they just sound like black people. Right. Yeah. Black, black people never will refuse to pick up. They, the, they uh, pick Tidewater. up the uh, New York accent. I've noticed that too. Like I can tell right, black, right. but they, New York not... is, is one thing. Brooklyn. Black people are Brooklyn, immune but... to that Tidewater accent. That horrible <laughs> accent that I mostly train myself out of. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I can't say that I blame them. Like hats off. For... I mean, my mom grew up in Philly, never lived anywhere else. She thought everyone else had accents, but I remember I was like 12 and the radio was on and somebody's like, yeah, well, we drove down to the ocean and and like objectively, I'm like, wow, that sounds awful. And I, I kind of trained myself out of it. And I do voiceover work for audiobooks. And if I had a Philly accent, there's no way I could do that. You sound retarded. <laughs> you know, four score and seven years ago. Romeo, Romeo, <laughs> wherefore art thou, Romeo? <laughs> Romeo, narrated by Jim Goode. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to play it up for uh, for foreigners. See, I'm gonna see I've always, this. you know, I... Uh, I, I still have a Southern accent, but it used to be really heavy when I was a kid. And then I kind of trained myself out of it out of like um, s- similar thing, like watching TV yeah. and being like, oh, man, I sound like an <laughs> yeah. idiot. You never get that. You hardly ever hear that on TV because like when they do somebody from Philly, they give them a New York accent. Oh, get the boyga. It's like, no, they don't say boyga. It's like it's a very distinctive view. The best source of it is like the real old John Waters movies. Cause that's a Baltimore accent. Yeah. It's pretty Hello much, movie Gary's. It, it, this is Mr. J or, from dreamland studios. What's his name? Uh, yeah. Right. Or uh, gator <laughs> in female trouble mother. I am going to Detroit to join the auto industry. <laughs> <laughs> like perfect. But yeah, it's an endless source of fascination for me. Cause uh, yeah, people don't know about that accent. It needs to be wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> like most accents that prob- probably will be soon enough. Um, if you could ask Robert Van Winkle, <laughs> aka Vanilla Ice, one question, what would it be? <laughs> oh man, should we end with that? Wow, probably where do you get your ideas? Uh huh. <laughs> or all these lyrics that you come up with? I love Robert Van Winkle. I know you do. I mean, I, I take it personally when people make fun of him. Have you seen Cool as Ice? Not all the way through. I still need to. Uh, I know you. Like I've said, that's not a movie. That's not a film. That's cinema. That's cinema. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, the same guy that did Twin Peaks, the cinematographer, was the same cinematographer. You might get a kick out of. Uh, there's like a John. I don't know if you know this guy, John Mouse or John Mao, however you pronounce his name. He's got a video for this track. That's it's all images slowed down, slow mo, uh, cool as ice, slow mo, slow mo. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. 
man, that'd be great. I'd like to meet him. <laughs> I really, I mean, I honestly, I, I don't think he's, I mean, he's uh, I'm treading uh, shallow water here, <laughs> but yeah, some of it's, I mean, Ninja Rap, that's a ridiculous song, but I think Get With It, Get With It, it's W-I-T, Get With It. I think that's better than anything Eminem ever recorded. I hate Eminem. I'm I'm still puzzled why people thought he was okay. He was the acceptable white rapper because I was in the joint when uh, when he first broke with the Slim Shady stuff, and I used to listen to some hip hop show on Sunday nights. J Mac and I wound up working with that guy at the porn magazine with J Mac, dumb guy. <laughs> he he had a column in the porn magazine. And he had this habit. He's like, well, this this month I'm going to be like the first three paragraphs. He was talking about what he was going to be talking about in the next seven paragraphs. He felt the need to announce what he was going to tell you in a minute. But I remember hearing that. I'm slim. I'm like, that's annoying as fuck. He sounds like he's trying to do Cypress Hill, but he's considered this genius or like, you know, I I wonder if Dr. Dre would like him if he didn't make him a billionaire, you know, but yeah, vanilla ice all the way. And he's the, uh, he's the last implicit stand of white identity. He, he taught white people it was okay to be black. (laughs) Nothing wrong uh, with any of that. You uh, support Jews. You love the Jews. You give money to Israel, <laughs> and Vanilla Ice is fucking awesome. And the Freemasons. Well, Jim the, also the, loves the Freemasons. The only pro- the only I'm afraid of the Freemasons, and the only problem with Vanilla Ice is he's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on here, and uh, I hope you have a good day. Yeah, uh, word to word to your mother. Word to your mother. Kiss my white ass. Like that's a real, really fucking nice guy in a lot of aspects, you know. It's like very. Uh, I guess if I could use a word to describe him, it would be like conscientious, you know, or like um, he, he's he's like a really empathetic. I guess it seems like a lot of uh, what he's doing, or a lot of his expression, at least, just like at least come. I don't know, comes from a place of empathy, but then at the same time his mentality he's not going to use like the terminology you know he's not going to say that he's empathetic or justify justify what he's doing with this type of emotion or um philosophy so so i, I don't know i see like I, w- I would say jim goad's a pure guy right i think he had a friend that a friend that described him as the uh the iron marshmallow that's like um yeah it sort of offers this veneer and presentation of uh, a power philosophy and brutal guy. And he's got the shaved head and reputation of uh, associating with white identitarians and all, all these uh, sorts of accusations and things. But it's like, yeah, this is the difference between him and, and these people who operate in these, these groups is that he really does have a, have like a, a principled ethic I'm, like his thing about, i understand his uh his problem a little bit more with the way that he he, he compulsively has to re- respond to, to people that lie about him because it's like that's breaking when you have this sort of like unshakable ethic it's like that that just drives you up a wall when it's when you see other people that uh can't can't uphold themselves to that he's got this tagline of um being misunderstood in ways you would never understand, which I think is true. And, and uh, one of the things I wanted to ask and they didn't quite get to is like, 
Conversely, if he'd entertain the possibility that simultaneously he might also be understood in ways that uh, he himself might never understand. This guy has a lot of people who are into his material for different reasons. You know, I mean, you have, you have like a Chuck Palahniuk uh, or like a Patton Oswalt, you know, both of them have different reasons for liking him. I assume Patton Oswalt likes like the balls of it. I think that's what he said is like just the sheer quality of his prose. Yeah. That's that, you know, that was the Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, that, that's what Chuck Palahniuk has praised him for is, is like his and his prose is fucking awesome and like the way that he expresses uh hate is amazing <laughs> like it's a really good like good expression of just like raw hate and you can enjoy him on that in that way and then now since like the alt right or whatever is claimed him you know you can go back and like him for Whatever interpreted, you know, I guess, I guess, I guess, on some level, he has to understand that people understand him in ways he doesn't even understand, because it's like the alt right shit. Like he didn't ask for that. Well, yeah, it's it's hard to say entirely. Um, I you know I do think to some degree uh, he pulls the punches with some of those people, um, but I think I understand why that occurs because these are some of the only people that will really engage him or talk to him on a serious level and uh, where he can, where he can talk about, it. I mean, cause now it's like, uh, I forget what the saying was, but it, or who said this, but it, uh, it's something Jim is himself has quoted. Um, but they're saying, yeah, if, if you're a, a liberal, you can just wait 25 years and then change none of your positions and then you'll be a, a conservative. So it's like, things have kind of shifted over in a way where um yeah that's that's just the only only realm where where he can utter certain things and and these people will engage him in conversation he's the type of person that doesn't really lend himself too well to like modern journalism because his his life story or his viewpoints can't be summed up in a single like clap back gif format you know right because modern journalism all has from whatever side it's coming from all has an agenda a political agenda yeah and it's like hard to put him into the which that's the reason he's so interesting it's because it's hard to put him into these like clear defined boundary boundaries that uh it's just way easier to paint him as like a clickbait villain you know yeah totally well the iron marshmallow in the style of answer me Fuck you for listening. Yeah, fuck you very much. This has been the Exile Hour. Thank you for listening to the Exile Hour. Please tune the next episode for another very special guest. We appreciate your patronage. If you have any suggestions for future guests, hate mail, blackmail, or another type of message, please do not hesitate to write to the Exile Hour at protonmail.com. As always, be safe, be vigilant, and keep listening. 